0: Greg Johnson. Welcome to CounterCurrents Radio. This is a special Thanksgiving three-hour all-star extravaganza live stream. And I want to welcome our first two guests. Uh, actually, I have a co-host, first of all, David Zutty. David's going to be co-hosting in the first hour. So, David, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here.
0: And also our first proper guest is Jim Go. Jim, welcome to the show. That's the first time I've ever been called proper, but thanks. Well, you deserve it. Uh you're 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 on your best behavior. We were just dancing back and forth beforehand and uh and I'm going to go to David first. David, what are some of the things you're thankful for in 2023?
1: Well, first I am extremely thankful for how we we may not have free speech on X, but we have substantial free speech on X. And that's good enough for me. We can't say whatever we want, but we can sure say a lot and we're making huge traction and simply going from X being basically a copy paste of legacy media to being the spearhead of information warfare is very refreshing. And there's a lot of people I wanna get back on there. I won't, There's a huge list of people who should be on there. But right now we are finally have a place where, I think somebody said it's basically like 4chan. So it's not like 4chan, but it's a classier version of 4chan that's almost as good. And more importantly, it's easier to get normal people on there to radicalize them. And second, I'm extremely grateful for my new job. I'm the executive director of the Homeland Institute. I've always been a political junkie. I was—I got roped in politics in the Monica Lewinsky scandal. I've been following ever since like normies follow sports ball. And so to actually have a job that's political and not just simply a you know, some random DC hack or swamp creature is super refreshing. I get to actually fight for my ideas. It's very fun. I get to use all my skills, like math skills, political skills. And the third poll is almost done. So I'm not going to comment on it, but it should be out in a week or two.
0: That's very exciting. The comment about X being the new 4chan is a very astute comment from Joel Davis. I remember he said, get all your normies enrolled on x and it'll radicalize them and i think that that's, that's exactly right and yeah uh, my countercurrents account my original normie account they have not been restored yet in fact my normie account was bounced after musk took over so it's not a perfectly free platform i will think of it as a perfectly free p- platform not when my accounts are restored although i would like that but when Jared Taylor's back, I would really like to see Jared Taylor back. So, Jim, what are some things you are thankful for in 2023? Oh, let's see that I'm still alive. That's one. We're uh, thankful for that, too. It's
2: been rough. I mean, Greg and others know just exactly how rough it's been. Uh, with each new week brings another <laughs> another uh, unwanted item of news that would crush most people. None of these are of my own doing, but... Uh, with each new week, I get more and more clear-headed. It's it's kind of miraculous. Uh, no time to dilly-dally or lollygag uh, that I, I still am bloodied but unbowed and keep going on. And I guess in in a way, I'm thankful that the news has been bad all over the place because I am one that thinks that when the, the news gets bad, people do get radicalized. I, as much as we'd like to tell ourselves that our propaganda will change the world, I really think bad conditions uh, are at the forefront of that, and things are getting bad. I'd like to be wrong. I'd, I'd, it would be nice if they got good, but couldn't get the message across, I guess, as forcefully if they, uh, they got better. So, I'm thankful that things are getting worse.
0: And, and I think that the establishment is going to cooperate and keep doubling down and keep making things worse until they get better. There's no question in my mind about that. Let's see if we have some people who have already joined us on entropy and we will thank them. White American is written in with three US dollars. Thank you. Countercurrents has some of the best content ever. I share this stuff with my conservative family. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. We have $50 here from X. Six X's actually. Whenever there's a violent assault on our people, we demure the passive candlelight vigils and lack of public courage. But when there is an understandable outburst of violence, it is quickly characterized by the media as far right racism. The reaction overshadows the event. What do you think of the Irish reaction to the recent attack on their children? Well, I think the establishment would like us to basically just engage in muling candlelight vigils and hopes and prayers and stuff like that, because they can contain that, they can ignore that. That doesn't change the power structure in society. Getting out and rioting a bit, as we've seen with BLM, changes things. They have set the terms. They censor polite debate, And they bottle up polite debate. They make it impossible for there to be peaceful, rational, political change. And then they act shocked, shocked when there's an explosion of actual violence. This is what they have, have sown. They're reaping what they've sown. They've created the conditions of violence. They've created the conditions of hatred and violence by creating multiculturalism. And then multiculturalism creates intolerable conditions for the native population. And then when acts like this happen, they cover it up. They blame the victims. They gag people from complaining. They make political violence inevitable. So my, my feeling is, is that if Ireland were properly governed, there would be no need for riots but it's not properly governed, and therefore, it is going to have riots. And it's going to have riots until the voices of the people are heard. A riot is just the way that the voiceless express dissent. And uh, we, we need to be tolerant of this, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we, we need to be tolerant of this an understanding of this and fix the underlying conditions. I love it when liberals always talk about root causes, root problems, that's because they don't want to deal with actual problems. But we can play that game too. There are root causes of mistrust and violence in multicultural societies, and that's multiculturalism itself. None of this would have happened if there were no Algerians in Ireland. And we all have to just repeat that uh, mantra. If white people had countries of their own, these sorts of things wouldn't be happening, and the establishment needs to listen. Jim, do you have any thoughts on uh, the recent Irish troubles? Well, there's a reason I'm wearing green today. I grew up
2: in a working-class neighborhood in suburban Philadelphia where the only two races were Irish and Italian. My 23 in me is ambiguous because they don't distinguish between Irish and English, but I'm 95.5% of that. I think temper temperamentally, I'm extremely Irish. I think that I think that uh, like I've, I've said many times before, uh, ethnically I, I identify as Philadelphian. But when I see some of these guys in the streets of Ireland that get knackers it reminds me of the the tough as nails Philly dudes that I knew in my youth and uh, before it was sprinkled and and then uh, drowned in fentanyl, the Irish guys of Kensington in Philadelphia. And I've said many times, I think one of the problems with the movement is the snobbery and the elitism. You want people out on the streets, it's not going to be the guys in suits. It's going to be the ones who actually are face to face with the downsides of multiculturalism. I wonder sometimes for the people who live in gated communities, who've really never had to live in a bad neighborhood, if it's all just a video game or it's all just theoretical, the ones who are ready to fight and willing to fight are the ones who are getting stabbed. And that's usually not happening
0: in gated communities. So Jim's Irish is officially off. What about you, David? Yes.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah so I'm only probably about one eighth Irish, but I stand with them completely. And uh, it brings me back to during 2020 where I think some CNN hacks asked, well, where does it say that protests are supposed to be peaceful? Well, okay, they said it first. Crime your river if you get to taste of your own medicine. And two, in regards to the looting that happened, that was all a bunch of Africans and migrants. It was actually the evil white men who put it into that. Probably a lot more effectively than the police would have. So they start clutching their pearls about stores being looted. That is completely bad faith argumentation, or it's completely ignorant.
2: I saw some uh, videotape too, where cops were smashing windows in uh, in like downtown Dublin. Uh, you know, not uh, not Foot Locker, but somewhere else. And and the the Irish. I guess what would the name for a lower class Irish person be in Ireland? They were the ones calling out the cops' word, and I also saw them yelling at the, the the migrants and the blacks who were looting. Yeah, so. Yeah. Maybe
1: I think there's some, this is historical nitpicking. I think the Gallaglake were spear throwers in medieval armies, but don't quote me on that.
0: So we have another question here in entropy. Thank you. Doug writes in with 20 US dollars. Thank you. That'll be doubled. Hello, Greg and everyone. I hope you all had a comfy Thanksgiving. Is the Democrats anti-white Frankenstein coalition falling apart? Jews and people of color are getting especially nasty to one another at these recent protests like in California. Just in time for 2024, will the left be demoralized and not show up for genocide, Joe? I do think that what's happening in Gaza is going to be a huge burden on the Democratic Party because, exactly, they are a coalition of wholly owned and subservient tools of Jews, Jewish power in America and and abroad and a a large number of people of color. And those people of color completely identify with the Palestinians. They don't identify with the Jews in this struggle. And so there are cracks in their coalition. And I think that couldn't happen to a nicer bunch. Usually these people are united against us. and. They're a very powerful block standing in the way of white interests in America. And when these people can be fighting against one another, that makes things easier for us. So I I welcome this. And I don't think it's going to come to an end anytime soon. It won't come to an end anytime soon because these people would die. They'd rather die over their dead bodies. Will they give up support of Israel? They are more dedicated to Israel than they are to the United States. And so they're just going to keep holding a line and they'll keep doubling down. And the problems aren't going to go away anytime soon. It's not just the Muslims in Gaza. It's the whole Muslim world that's up in arms against Israel right now. The troubles are not going to be going away anytime soon. And therefore, the Democratic Party is going to be increasingly beset with these uh, divisions and i think that's good because honestly although the republicans are terrible and they're equally subservient to israel uh, and zion dawn is is uh, you know one of the worst uh i would like them to i'd like the democrats to be out of power i like the Democrats to be out of power because they're far worse on other things, especially on the borders, than Zion Don was. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping that the divisions continue. I'm hoping that the Democratic platform will sink no matter who is the uh, nominee. And I'd like to see Trump come back. I, I think that would be wonderful if one of the unintended consequences of all this uh bloodshed in gaza is that we get our orange blowhard back in office i would kind of like that what do you think jim well
2: i saw i was i can't call it x yet it's still twitter to me but on twitter x i saw the other day that i think his name is dr eli david so you know where he's coming from he was gloating about what was happening in ireland he was saying they, they were the most pro hamas country in europe and he was he was just mocking them in general. But I, as fate would have it, I had to drive through a neighborhood on Briar Cliff Road. You might know it, Greg, in Atlanta. All of a sudden, I'm hit, you know, there are all sorts of delis, and there's this giant billboard, and it's magenta with white type. It's like, it's, we're only 75 years out of the gas chambers. So being pro-Jewish isn't a, you know, isn't a sin or something. and it's from Jewbelong.com.
0: I remember Wait. those bumper. I, I remember those that very billboard in in Atlanta. Actually, yeah. yeah. When I was not, back in the I, Yeah. I
2: figured it was new. And uh, and you know, I went to get a pizza. I was going to meet my son, and I got one. I guess it was a kosher pizza pizza place. But there's a guy in a kippah just drinking coffee. But I'd really like at one point white people to have that kind of identity, because everyone who's non-white is going to categorize you that way anyway. And as I said on, on two hours of sleep in Fort Worth, I, my, as an outlier, as an outsider, I'd like the guys, the slash our guys slash, to get over this petty bickering over age and sex and income. Realize that the enemy sees you as white, and you know Jews. I, I don't, I don't see Jews having that sort of internecine warfare where they they don't like the poor Orthodox. I mean, they're all Jews to the Jews blacks are all black to the blacks until whites are all white to each other and realize that wherever you go on earth you're going to be seen as white and your skin color is a gang tattoo i'm a little bit dubious about progress another thing we got to keep in mind as encouraging as these things are we got to consider the apparatus that we're up against and how good they are at diverting and and you know starting bickering maybe the world maybe it is becoming a and who was it was is that like an offshoot of Infowars' prison planet but if we adopt a prison planet attitude, where we're all in the same gang just by the tattoo that that is our skin, I think that's that's my I, that's my definition of winning. That we we develop the sort of consciousness that non-whites have all across the world.
0: Yeah, I think if we got to that point, we would have won. Uh, or winning would be a very simple matter. David, uh, any thoughts about the anti-white coalition breaking down because of Gaza?
1: Yeah, so I actually wrote an article with my predictions for the upcoming election and how Republicans will probably shoot themselves in the foot. I think Trump will win simply because a deep state will not fortify the election against him. They'll, um, at worst, they're going to simply be neutral. They might even help him a little bit because their priority is Israel. However, the problem here is that while they're going to fracture in regards to Trump at the local level, but what's happening in regards to Gaza is that the Republicans are always more obnoxiously Zionist than the Democrats. Zionism is completely bipartisan, but for the GOP, it's practically issue number one. It is sacrosanct to them, and so when they try to pull off the Democrats or the real racists, what people see, what the average person who is of of a perfectly average intelligence, which means kind of low intelligence is that they see a white state bombing brown children backed up by the white states. That's not true. Jews are not white. That doesn't matter because politics is about parents is not reality. So all these Republican candidates are going to be shooting themselves in the foot. At the same time, they also tack on the abortion issue, which is another thing that simply galvanizes the left. And so it might happen is that Trump will win because of, in part, because of the whole Gaza thing. But then for all the congressional and senatorial races, the Democrats probably will not be beaten as badly as they normally will. We have what's called the CoTels effect, which usually says that whoever takes the presidency, his party tends to have the majority in Congress. That might not happen, or if it does happen, it might not be as strong as usual. So Trump may have to face a Congress that is divided or even kind of Democrat. So what we might see, what could it come from that is that there'll be bipartisan that we get the worst of both worlds. Or they could be bipartisan that we finally get national populism where we combine the economic populism, the left with the social populism, the right, because no one's a libertarian. That's a very strange niche thing. It's usually what we get minus the you no know, foreign wars. Like I was never a real libertarian. I was simply a libertarian bad faith to keep white people armed and stop giving white tax dollars to colored people. But I don't know. I, I don't see... I see Trump winning and then Congress not necessarily being a Trump landslide. And the other thing too, going back to the whole thing, what you said about the uh, Delhi incident and all this Jewish drama about the Holocaust is that, yeah, I think we need to tap into our own ancestral trauma here. World War one was too recent for me. I'm still traumatized by that man. So maybe we need to start having no brother wars and not get dragged in conflicts against, against each other or get dragged into in defiance into other wars, because you know what? Never forget. We had millions of white people die for a pointless war that was a complete tragedy, and we don't want to do it again.
0: Yeah, I like that. Let's play the tra- the the trauma card a bit.
1: We were gas. Uh, I was the trend. seeing Nikki. They gassed us. We were
0: gas in the trend. Yeah, exactly. This is this is something that we we could definitely play. I was watching the X app, the Bird app today, and Nikki Haley was talking about you know, what we, we, we have to, you know, stand by Israel never again. And I, I, I thought, well, maybe a normie will read this. So I, I typed out, you know, don't you think we did enough for the Jews in World War II? I mean, we lost more than 300,000 people. It, what's, in, what's in this for us? We, we should start talking about our historical traumas and play that card occasionally. It's, uh, but no, our historical traumas, the cost to us are meaningless, meaningless to the political class and meaningless to the people who control the political class. We have one more question, then I'm gonna bring in another guest. Okay, folks, if you wanna get more questions out there, go to entropystream. slash countercurrents and get out your plastic and send your super chats along. 617 Squadron's dog has written in with 10 US dollars. Could Dr. Johnson discuss Hitler as a thinker, as opposed to the usual Hitler as meme or Hitler as general? Could we also have his thoughts on Hitler as an artist? Thanks. Well, this is is an interesting question. Um, I can't say a whole lot about that because it's a tight stream and that's like a big topic and it's something that I'd have to prepare for. However, There are a couple books I can recommend, including a couple of books that have been reviewed at Countercurrents. And so let me do that. Let me just drop that out there. There's a book that I read called Hitler and the Power of Aesthetics by Frederick Spots, S-P-O-T-T-S. He's an art historian. He wrote a history of the Bayreuth Wagner Festival, and he's an extremely good writer. It's a very balanced book, actually, remarkably balanced. And it talks about Hitler as an artist, but also the importance of aesthetics to him. And I I thought it was really quite valuable, not only for dealing with aesthetics proper, but for dealing with, how how to put it, how how seriously intellectual he was. He was largely self-educated, but he was very serious about ideas. And he had a worked out worldview, a system of ideas. And a lot of that was connected with aesthetics as well as politics. And the Spots book, I think, explores that really quite well. It's quite an interesting read. So yeah, I would would look at that if you want some thoughts on Hitler as an artist and Hitler as an esthete. Hitler was not primarily interested in painting so much as architecture. And I think he would have been actually a very, very accomplished architect if he uh, if he had gone that route. And his extraordinary knowledge of certain buildings comes out in this book. When he visited the Paris Opera, he was being taken around on a tour and there was a point where he said, wait a second, isn't there supposed to be a door here? And uh, apparently there had been a door at one point on the original plans, but it had been walled up in some sort of renovation. But he remembered that because he had studied the blueprints, the plans for it so thoroughly that things like that just stuck. So anyway, that's an interesting question. And I really recommend the Spots book. Uh, I think Alex Graham. Ashley, one of our authors, reviewed the Spots book at Countercurrents, and it's a good place to start. And then you know, start with the review and maybe jump into the book. Let's see if there's some new questions here.
2: One thing I wanted to add about uh, what David was saying, we keep hearing that Israel is our greatest ally. If anyone brings it up to you, say, how? What have they done for us? We're clearly their greatest ally. I'd really like to know one thing they've done for us. That's a question that people should harp on until there's an answer, or if there's no answer, even better.
1: Or list a bunch of bad stuff like the USS Liberty.
2: How much it's these foreign wars on their behalf have cost?
1: Yeah. Well, my my strongest points for that is that we have about 17 veterans committing suicide each day, not each month, each day, and mo- the majority of those are probably from the what's called the GWATs, so the Global War on Terror. That was all fought on behalf of Israel. So thank you, Israel. You're causing a veteran suicide crisis. Even though the forever wars have ended or at least they've taken a break, they might start up again and hope not. But it's a gift that keeps on giving. This is a cost that the white America has to continue to shoulder. Most combat guys are usually white males, probably Republican. That's all for Israel. This, we didn't get any, we didn't get the oil. That's a very crass thing to say like, you know, bomb the Arabs, take their oil. There, there wasn't even any oil. We got nothing. This is all a farce for Israel.
0: So I want to add a couple more guests to the stream. First of all, uh, let's welcome Tim Murdoch. Tim, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing out there? Hey, Tim. Great. Great. Uh, we're doing really well. And I want to also bring on Keith Woods. Keith, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, how are you guys doing? Good to be here. Hey, Keith.
0: Well, you're sort of the man of the hour. <laughs> we're very... Well, we're very thankful to the work you've been doing uh, this year. This has been an amazing year for you, and it's I kind of pleased that you could come on. So welcome. What I want to ask you just a quick question here. So first of all, you you went to American Renaissance and spoke at American Renaissance. You spoke about Ireland. I thought that was a that was a nice coup then you've got the richest man in the world responding to you and amplifying things you say you get the hashtag campaign ban the adl seriously coursing through the x app and now ireland is sort of kicking off There are very encouraging things happening there so what are your thoughts
3: yeah it's it's a it's a very interesting time i know a lot of people kind of Brought off Ireland, you know. I hope I'll, I'll see the last of the the memes from English people. I know they like to do the whole uh, "Oh, we gave the Irish freedom, and and, and look what they did." Because, yeah, it's um, there's a there's a real pushback happening. I think a big part of it is is um, just the demographics of Ireland having a, a younger population than the rest of Europe. Um, I guess another factor is you know they, they boiled the frog a little slower in the rest of Europe, if you will. Um, you know, obviously Ireland was was much more uh, conservative and and homogeneous, and this happened all very rapidly. Um, and it's 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 very much in people's faces in terms of um, the demographic change and, and busting in these uh, huge amounts of migrants into small communities. Uh, so it's very promising to see that there's pushback, and I think Conor McGregor is is like the perfect person to lead that in terms of given a voice to people's frustration um, because it's, it's very much the working class uh, that are pushing back against it, especially, especially in places like Dublin, um, people that kind of feel like they're forgotten about, uh, feel like no one represents them. Uh, McGregor is, is, a hero for these people, he's a national hero and you know, who, who better to uh, embody that, that fight in spirit than someone like McGregor and he's a, you know, he's an international icon. So, It's kind of amazing. I was thinking this yesterday. Like, on the one hand, we have, um, you know, we're this kind of niche subculture, right? The dissident, right? Or whatever. But then you think of, like, the people who have kind of flirted with that subculture, with our ideas, um, been labeled far-right extremists. It's like Elon Musk, the richest man in the world. Conor McGregor, like, one of the greatest uh, sports icons in the world, like, the most iconic MMA fighter ever. Um, Tyson Fury has some interest in regards, like the greatest, uh, you know, the most iconic boxer in the world. Um, you know, even Andrew Tate, like the biggest social media influencer, he's been talking about the, the Great Replacement recently. It's like there is this kind of pull over to our ideas. It seems no matter what, and who could forget Kanye West, of course, as well, the biggest musician. So it's just kind of interesting. I mean, for for all you know, we're we're a small subculture, whatever. Um, but there's always this pull towards towards our ideas, you know, the, the forbidden fruit. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with freer
0: atmosphere on X, or Twitter. I think that's been a, a huge step forward. And one of the things I'm very thankful for is Elon Musk. I think he's one of the most important people in the world right now. And I can even say that as somebody who has not had his accounts restored yet, but still he's you know, I I go on Twitter. I'm I'm I have a little dinky account that's sort of an alt account that I used basically to watch things in the past, and uh, I've been following things, and it's it's very exciting. It, it feels like it feels like that 2015 2016 energy is back, and I'm I'm very excited by that.
3: Yeah, me too, and. You know, some people have been have been very harsh on Elon, and it's. Uh, I think a lot of times it's just kind of personal saltiness that they didn't get their own individual account back or whatever. Um, but I mean, if you look at it, I don't think anyone could could argue that it's it's not far better than it was a year ago. Uh, the biggest thing it's not even individual accounts he restored; like he restored my account. Uh, but I think the the biggest thing is that he's done away with a lot of the shadow banning. Um, And he's talked about this. He says some of it still exists, but it's kind of built into the algorithm and they're working on removing it. But I think that's been the biggest thing for us in terms of we can actually reach new people now. Uh, I think everyone had this experience on the old Twitter. You could grow to a certain size, um, but at a certain point, kind of no matter how big your account was, you felt like you were reaching the same people over and over again. Uh, And that's certainly changed under Elon. You know, part of it might even be the fact that uh, he got rid of so many staff. It's it's hard to keep up with uh, all the alt accounts and so on now. And a lot of people that were banned have have survived on alts for quite a while. So it really is quite a, a free environment. But yeah, I think without the shadow banning, um, you know, our ideas are kind of naturally rising to the top. But I was writing about this even before Elon took over. Like when I was on Telegram, I did a few posts just observing. Like if you go on Twitter um, and you just search it the way like some normie using twitter would you see like all the most kind of popular memes like even in conservative circles it was all like kind of 2016 era kind of basic like nationalist basic kind of alt-right talking points about you know the anti-white hypocrisy of the system mass immigration and so on and you see there's like a a non-accounts posting this that have like four or five hundred followers and they're getting like tens of thousands of likes so there was clearly like Within the conservative movement, um, an appetite had developed for our ideas, but you know there was no figures like us there to spearhead that. It was all these anon accounts that had been pushing this stuff for years, and you know I think there's there's a number of factors why conservatives became more open to this kind of thing than they were in, in 2016, 17. Part of it is that you know, they were all declared extremists as well. So it's like, well, at that point, what's even the, the social cost of, of talking about anti-whiteism or replacement immigration? Um, but yeah, I really felt, and I wrote about this a few times last year that there's like a real appetite for our ideas now amongst kind of our natural base on the right. And I think this year proves it in terms of like, you know, you look at bandy ADL and that was like across the right, um, very mainstream influencers, um, all types of, of conservatives and like kind of anti-woke types that are even more apolitical, uh, they're all embracing this stuff. And, you know, they were talking about the kind of sordid history of, of the ADL and, and um, you know, Leo Frank and all this kind of stuff, stuff that used to be quite like esoteric, again, within a, a kind of niche subculture. Um, but you see, you know, if it's if it's presented in the right way, I think there's certainly an appetite amongst conservatives for this stuff now. Um, You know, it's very much in their face in terms of the effects of of replacement immigration and just the blatant anti-whiteism everywhere. And it feels like now they're kind of ready to call it what it is and fight back. I think they're kind of done with the kind of clever games they thought they could play to get around confronting that head on.
0: Yeah, so let's,
3: folks, if you have questions for
0: Keith or any of us, please do visit entropystreamorg forward slash countercurrents. We are having a matching grant in effect right now. So your super chats will go twice as far and we very much appreciate it. I'm just going to check in quickly. Okay. Unknown Californian writes in with 15 us dollars. Thank you. This is a fantastic show today, Greg. So many great guests, love Tim and cool Keith. Keith has been phenomenal on X as Gadius says, make sure you're boosting Keith's, Keith's posts. I I do think that's a good thing. Gadius has been very pushing that there's a kind of network effect that we can get on X. If we just start boosting one another. And yeah, if, uh, if somebody who has a already large following gets even larger follows uh, it gets into the you know it get comes to the attention of people like elon musk it comes to the attention of conor mcgregor people like that so i think this is a this is an important thing to do
3: let's yeah gadius has yeah. been very good for that I, I appreciate that and um yeah that's something i've been trying to push the last i guess last year as well um like me and joel davis have been trying to push that a lot of people that follow us is like you have to start seeing what you do online as a form of activism um it's like I, I did a poll before on telegram and like about a third of people that answered it said they don't contribute anything even like having a social media account even you know just like reposts and stuff on twitter and like there's really no excuse for that like i understand not everyone can contribute financially very much or people want to protect their anonymity but it's like anyone anonymously, without any cost, can, you know, just make a Twitter account and go and, um, you know, post basic red pills or even just repost people that are doing that. Um, and like that is an effective form of activism. I mean, the fact that, like, you know, Elon Musk posts something and, and you go and like the top replies are, are like, uh, you know, kind of our guys and short video clips and, and red pills and. People that are sympathetic to this kind of thing are, are seeing this and are finding this pipeline. Um, like I don't think you can discount that. And like I said, you know, Bandy like woke up tens of thousands of people to stuff that would have been quite esoteric to them otherwise. Uh, so I think you know, there's obviously a tendency to kind of uh, look down on on online activism. And I think some people have been very guilty of this, as they they want to kind of have everything uh isolated within their sphere they want it to be their little echo chamber they want everything to happen through their organization um and so they, they poo-poo anything else that's happening but um you know all, all of this counts and like i don't think the i don't think we should ever present those two in in opposition you know they're, they're complementary um and we should we should remind people that you know even if you can't contribute much like the all those thousands of anons that are hammering away at the red pills every day. Like they do make a difference and that's worthwhile activism as well. Absolutely. A friend of mine gave me
0: a donation to counter-currents earlier this year. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm not a millionaire, Greg. And I said, don't apologize for that. Don't apologize for giving what you can, because if everybody gave what they can, we would have no problems financially. The movement would be, flush with money, and we'd be accomplishing a lot. And the same is true with any kind of activism. Don't apologize for not doing more than you can, um, unless you really think you're slacking off. But if you do what you can, if everybody does what he or she can, we are going to win. And, uh, And therefore, it's we have to welcome that in whatever humble way people are doing it to, to just do what you can and know that many small efforts meshing together through the medium of the Internet, and that is the medium in which society operates. Uh, this is why the people who say, oh, online is, is not real. I'm sorry, online is the way that the global society coordinates thought and action. And if you are not online you are not taking part in global society uh, and you're not going to be effectual. And if you are offline, you need to worm your way back online somehow. I have a question here from Lovecraft's cat. Basically he's asking everybody on the panel, their thoughts about the stabbing of Derek Chauvin. So Tim Murdoch, you've been quiet so far. So Tim, do you have any thoughts on the Derek Chauvin stabbing? Uh, first of all, is there any news about his condition or his status?
4: I, I haven't heard anything, and I, I was curious. I, I'll be curious to see what comes out at like the you know. I always look at news like this, and the first go round, then at the twelve hour point, the twenty four hour point, the forty eight hour point, the seventy two hour point to see to see like what changes about the story, how this happened obviously you know did someone let this happen um maybe the guards i i i don't know he's obviously a very controversial character uh due to the uh the events surrounding um surround that that famous black man there the events surrounding that famous black man uh that he arrested and uh I'll be curious to see what comes out on it, what the truth, what, what the whole story is. Was it just like, you know, he's, he's in line to get uh, food in the commissary and
0: someone stabs him? You know, what's the deal with this? Yeah, there are a lot of questions about it, definitely. Jim, any thoughts about this, the Chauvin stabbing? Is this something you're going to cover on The Worst Week Yet? Yeah, I'll be up all night writing about it. I'm astonished he
2: wasn't in protective custody. That's not coincidental. That he was in, well, or maybe there was someone else in protective custody that the guards gave a screwdriver. I'm not sure how he was stabbed, but that's the most puzzling thing that anyone had access to him, that he wasn't uh, around the clock. And he has a lawsuit, at least a uh, little consolation that that is. But yeah, I, I'd like to learn more, but, uh, you know, it'll take a few days to actually get the details. But that that's the thing that as a as an ex-con, how the hell was he in general population is the
0: first thing that occurred to me. That's crazy. Yeah. David, any thoughts on this?
1: Yes. The first one is that we shouldn't back the blue because the blue doesn't back us until the blue can't doesn't even back themselves. If anyone should have been protected by law enforcement or by prison guards, it should have been Derek Chauvin. And if you look through the whole process, they threw him under under the bus. And this is not an isolated incident, incident. This is a modus operandi. And I'm debating writing an article about this in Freemasonry where some police say that Freemasonry is fake and stupid and it's failed because a lot of police officers are Freemasons. They have networking power and they can't take care of themselves. They have this little oath of loyalty and they freak out whenever somebody divulges their secrets, but they allow police officers to be railroaded like this. And I doubt that Sheldon was a Mason. They're not all Masons, but... It's a, you know, there's some, to use leftist terms, some disparate impact here. If you actually were Mason, you took your oath of brotherhood seriously, you should be deeply concerned about Black Lives Matter and how law enforcement is treated and anarcho-tyranny. But they just don't care. I think it's very suspicious.
0: Well, and they were the kneeling other- to BLM. They kneel to BLM. When policing stops, crime goes crazy. So the people who just say, screw the police, well... You can't really just say, and there are people on the right who say this, they, they want to defund the police as much as the left wants to defund the police and America's suffering a terrible lot of crime because of this. So you can't just, you, you can't just get rid of them entirely, but they are creatures of the establishment. They're loyal to the establishment. And when the establishment decides to sacrifice one of them to the mob, it's amazing how little solidarity these people have. I, because they have a, they have a greater loyalty, I think, to the system, the system as a whole, uh, Gadius is, 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 yeah. Going ahead, go ahead, going, going
1: point two is that the other issue here is that if I were in power and I was able to institute my government, a lot of people would be complaining about how allegedly brutal I am. It wouldn't be brutal. I would execute a lot of people and ask them to face the wall, but I would do so with giving them due process and I would do so honestly. Democracy is one and liberalism is one of the most disgusting forms of government because it creates a farce. Derek Chauvin has been sentenced to death or put at great peril. The conditions of prison, there's oftentimes violence, assaults, and the state simply outsources it to other prisoners. That's slimy, it's disgusting, and it's dishonest. I think liberal democracy should be held to account for this. The system, you know, in law we say that you are responsible for actions that are reasonably foreseeable in regards to negligence. Well, Derek Chauvin being assaulted and almost murdered was really reasonably foreseeable. They accept that people are, you know, murdered or assaulted or violated in prison. They do nothing about it. So really, I think democracy is more disgusting than the most jackbooted dictatorship because the dictatorship will be honest and clean about it. They'll simply line you against the wall. But here, they'll simply send you to prison, sign some paperwork, keep up this, you know, this dystopian bureaucracy bureaucracy, a pastel covered tyranny, but they're just as worse. They, they simply, and I think it's actually worse because they are more dishonest about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let me bring Gadius on stage. Gaddius, welcome. Hey, how you
5: doing folks? Happy Thanksgiving to everybody who celebrates it and, uh, what's going on to every,
0: everyone else. Yeah. Well, great. We were just talking about the Derek Chauvin thing. Maybe you can comment a bit about the reactions you've seen on social media. I, I tell you, it's, it's it's discouraging to see just how much unbridled hatred there is for this man. I think he was an innocent man fed to the mob. And there are people out there celebrating the fact that he's been shanked or whatever in jail.
5: Yeah, well, it's what you would expect, the uh, reaction to it. You go into any news uh organization mainstream media organizations replies on x or maybe their comments section on facebook if anybody still has facebook and you'll see what's going on it's pretty much just a racial head count of whether it was a good thing or a bad thing you know the the blacks are going to be cheering it on saying good he got what he deserved and so will a good bit of you know liberals or whatever but most people most normal people we'll say, Hey, you know, we got to keep this guy safe. Uh, this, this is wrong or whatever, but it also, it also, it, it, it's reflects, it reflects upon something that is, uh, you know, it ties into like what was going on, uh, last night or the night before with Ireland is, uh, a lot of people that were cheering on BLM in 2020 cheering on the riots and everything all of a sudden found, Moral outrage for what was going on in Dublin, the righteous indignation being let loose by, you know, the the Irish lads of Dublin. And uh, it, it, it really just illustrates that it's all just a game. Nobody's actually nobody's actually outraged. Nobody's actually, you know, going to try to be a straight shooter with it. It's everyone's pretty, pretty well in their camps. So that's why when the when the Dublin thing was going on. Yeah, we don't like to see you know we're we're this this sphere we're we're more order oriented we don't like to see stuff like that but uh at the same time we we can look at we can parse the we can parse the what's going on we can parse the issue issue by issue or case by case and we know so it's like when we see what's going on in Dublin. we we don't like to see that we don't like to see looting and burning and everything but we know that it's righteous indignation whereas the other side's just totally in their camp you know what i mean so when 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 you get this when you get this fake outrage from these libtards on on uh x or twitter uh that that's what you should just keep in mind it's not it's not really about uh you know it, it's not about playing fair i don't think
2: One thing I'd add is that Derek Chauvin didn't stab any children, the children weren't on fentanyl, and the children didn't have armed robbery records.
0: Yeah. And as far as we know, they didn't make any kiddie porn either. Uh, Keith, uh, what are your thoughts? Have you been following the Derek Chauvin stabbing and the
3: reactions online? I mean, I heard the news last night. Um, I haven't been online so much today. I uh, was actually doing it in real life activism, uh, but I mean, it's he's obviously a victim of an anti-white system twice in a sense. I mean, him getting the, the kind of prosecution he did was, was totally unjust. I think anyone that looked at the details of the case saw that, but at the time, I think a lot of people predicted something like this would happen, right? A lot of people were saying, "Will even live to see out his prison sentence because there's going to be an attack like him, uh, like this on him in prison. And if if everyone else expected that, then, you know, the the prison guards should have expected something like that. Yet uh, it was able to happen on him. I mean, surely this is a guy who needs the maximum of of security given his high profile. Um, If someone that high profile is is attacked in prison, surely you'd have to put that down to uh, lack of care by the authorities, I would think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is Epstein level carelessness, if it's carelessness at all. I have a question here from Sutton who about McGregor's response to the looting. He basically tweeted out that he doesn't condone this. It doesn't condone burning and looting and so forth. And some people thought, oh well, you know, that's that's kind of cucky. I don't know. If, I, I don't know about that. I don't condone lawlessness and violence, but I understand it. <laughs> I, I don't condone it, but I understand it. And I immediately just put the blame on the system because as John F. Kennedy, whose assassination we recently marked the anniversary of, as John F. Kennedy once said, those who make peaceful change impossible make violence inevitable something to bad effect. Keith, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, do you think that his statements on this matter were uh, well well thought out?
3: Well, th- that was basically my take as well. As I said, um, you know, without approving of any specific actions, I said at the end of the day, whatever you think of it, it is the government's fault because they didn't give people a means to express legitimate criticisms and concerns they had Uh, in any way without you know smearing them as as extremists and so on and they made a situation like that inevitable and I didn't have a problem with McGregor's statement at all I mean I know of course people online are saying oh he walked it back you know it's over Um, but if you read that tweet I mean what he's saying is like he he doesn't see rioting as a long-term solution to anything and then he goes on to say We're not going to stop, though, until there's a real change in the system. And that needs to be like revolutionary political change. And um, he claims to have some sort of uh, plan for that, whatever that is. Sounds interesting. (laughs) But, you know, I I, I totally agreed with his his statement, which was that, yeah, this was understandable. Uh, You know, we don't approve of of attacks on on first responders and and businesses and so on. Um, But, uh, you know, there was a reason for this and it needs to be turned into a real uh, political revolution so i think he absolutely hit the right note and he understands um what needs to change so i'm, I'm interested to see where he goes after that uh, tim do you have any thoughts on this
4: no no i don't think i have anything to add um i think Keith's pretty much covered it all uh i, I just don't have anything to add
6: on it
1: Okay. Well, well uh, something really quick. Yeah. So I used to be a, I used, I really miss doing real life activism with identity Europa. And I'm just wondering Keith, do you think that the kind of like, I think everyone agrees that, you know, it was reasonably foreseeable. Yeah. This is all the government's fault, but is it possible that this energy will be channeled into real life organizing? Like do the local groups that you were doing activism with, are they optimistic about taking this energy and directing it towards productive activism and are you also optimistic about maybe mcgregor running for office
3: yeah definitely so that's when he tweeted that what i did was um posted a reply basically amplifying him agreeing with him and posted a video of national party activists in the inner city of dublin um that have been doing productive activism the video was of them uh, clearing out like an antifa squad that popped up in, in dublin last year um, and I posted that to him, see if he's, he's interested in that. You know, there are nationalist activists out there that are trying to turn it into something positive. And, I mean, from what I've heard, there's conversations happening now that were not happening a year ago or two months ago. Um, just anecdotally, I've heard that from a lot of people, from activists, that, you know, they're going to work and, and people are discussing immigration now. They're in university and people they never thought would ever mention that topic are, are starting to... Uh, you know, raise, raise their head and, and express certain opinions on it. So, you know, the conversation is happening. Um, people are certainly more activated. That felt like a turning point the other night. And obviously, you know, the, the job of, of people like us is to try and turn it into more positive activism and more lasting change. But I think, you know, when there's that kind of raising in the level of consciousness and people are starting to actually think about this now, I think it's it's kind of inevitable that it's, it's, it's going to be funneled into uh, political action.
0: Yeah, this is my hope. I, I hope it does get funneled into real, real political change. And McGregor, he's such a charismatic figure. I think it's absolutely hilarious watching him dunk on some of these people coming out with these multicultural takes on things. He's kind of a thug, but he's... <laughs> You know he's tweeting out things like torture and death, uh, but he's also responding to arguments, and I'm thoroughly impressed with with how he's handled this so yeah. far. and I love, uh, I
3: love I love the energy. Some some like MMA guy was doing like a virtue signalling tweet yesterday, and McGregor like comes into his replies and just absolutely torches him. <laughs> he's, <laughs> like, he's like, I, at once he's going between like very well reasoned arguments about immigration and um, and then he's like. Stay the fuck away from my gym. Don't ever step foot in it again. All this kind of stuff. I love the energy.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's exciting. We're coming up on the hour. What I what I need to do is we've got some new people coming in. So with regrets, I have to say goodbye to Jim and David. Guys, do you have any last thoughts or a question, Jim, uh, you want to pose to the
2: I uh, Well, questions or thoughts? Absolutely not. But for the CounterCurrents fundraiser, like last year, I'm offering my dubious services as a karaoke practitioner. For $100, I will perform, if I think I can handle it, the song of your choice. You have to email me first, jg at jimgo.net, and we'll take it from there. Excellent.
0: Jim's karaoke, I think is, is memorable. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk uh, one of these days about Orini again, because that that's totally cracks me up. So thank you so much for that. David, any, any quick final thoughts for this hour before we say good night? I'm goodbye? extremely
1: white-pilled. I think we're at a turning point. Things are changing. Even when it gets bad, it feels good because it feels like progress and Speaking of progress, the third poll will be done in a week or two. So I know we've had a little drought of content from the Homeland Institute, but that'll be picking up pretty soon. And happy Thanksgiving.
0: Thank you so much, both of you guys. We'll be in touch very, very soon. See you guys. All right. So I'm just going to reshuffle the deck chairs here a little bit. Uh, and I want to add the uh, His Holiness, the Ayatollah. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Ayatollah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nice to be back on again two weeks in a row. So, uh, you know,
7: even more of these opportunities, really, for any fans of the UK office. But yeah, yeah. nice to uh, nice to join you again. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so the rest of you guys just uh, stick around. And Gadius is going to be sort of my co-host in this hour. Uh, David was my co-host in the first hour. And then in the third hour, I'm going to be joined by Cyan Quinn. And so I just want to check and see if there are any questions or comments here on Entropy. We don't want to miss out on opportunities while well, we still have Keith here. Skip 89 sends in $40. Thanks to all who make CC happen. Well, thank you very much. Leroy writes in with $10. U.S. Thank you. Re Greg's comments on Gaza war. Will college-educated white Democrats support white trash Republicans upon their opposition to whom so much of their class pretension is based? Also, will POC Democrats see Trump's party As that of the brown global resistance when he is no less Zionist. I don't think it's going to work that way. I I don't think that the POC people in the Democratic Party are going to start liking Donald Trump. I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think that White liberal Democrats are going to start supporting white trash Republicans. I don't think I don't think Trump's going to get back in office that way. Uh, I think what's going to happen is simply that these two groups, uh, white liberal Democrats, especially the ones who are basically in lockstep with Jewish lobby and the POC Democrats, they're just going to be fighting against one another. They're going to be angry. They're going to be bitter. They're going to be exhausted, and some of them. In both camps, no matter what happens, and this is this is a wonderful situation to see your enemy in, you know, Genocide Joe is in a lose-lose situation. No matter what he tries to do to cater to either side of this fracturing alliance that, that he depends upon, he's just going to get other people angry at him. And uh, I, I, I just like to watch that. I like to watch that because I think that it's going to be that conflict that's going to degrade the ability of the of the Democrats to hold on to power, at least to hold on to the White House. So they're not going to have to like one another. There's not going to be a realignment of votes or anything like that, so much as maybe just depression of the Democratic base going to the next election. Those are my thoughts. And Charles writes in with a hundred U.S. dollars. Thank you so much. No question. Just want to say countercurrents has been one of the most relevant sites in this fight. You have helped me profoundly in appreciating the more hidden history of the West. If I could give more, I would thank you for everything. Well, thank you for what you've given. It's, it's very generous. I want to just run through a quick number of smaller donations that have come in On DLive, because we take your diamonds, lemons, ninjets, and so forth. Lovecraft has donated one ninjagini and says, Ireland is for the Irish. Thank you. Media Markt Verkäufer has donated a diamond. And he also uh, says, Wow, what a lineup at Keith Woods. uh, Enjoyed your discussion with the rabbi. I love your this is what the end looks like takes. And he's also donated yet another diamond thank you very much carl thorburn has just donated a ninja genie. he's going to be joining us in the third hour question for keith any thoughts on lex friedman state actor what
3: are your thoughts on lex i find them very boring but then a lot of people said that about my content so i, mean, <laughs> I don't know i've i've I have heard some of that stuff about him supposedly having some kind of deep state cia connections i never really looked into it so I can't say I ever really watch him, and I can't say I've ever looked into him too much. I find him a deeply, deeply uninteresting person, so I don't really have a take on him.
5: He's insanely boring. He's a—he's just some some Jewish nerd from MIT who knows knows people, and he came out of nowhere to be like uh, chief podcaster for the International Dork Web. He's totally overrated. Like I cannot go more than five minutes listening to that guy talk.
3: Yeah, He's I, did, I did find really how much how much he was promoted on, on YouTube. Like, I never watched any of his stuff, but for like a year straight, like YouTube was just begging me to, to tune into this guy's podcast. <laughs> well, it's funny. He
0: was tweeting or something maybe it was on X about uh, having Thanksgiving dinner with Ivanka and Jared. Uh, it was reminds me of something that Alex Linder said decades ago about being Jewish. It's the universal backstage pass. This guy who's absolutely vapid, pops out of nowhere, and he's got access to all these people all of a sudden. And it's easy to think that it's, you know, an unusual level of conspiratorialness, but it might just be the default fact that these people are massively hyper-networked. And there are studies that have been shown that Jews are the most hyper-networked people in America as a, you know, as an ethnic group. You know, he might just know somebody who knows practically anybody and can just talk his way into dinner with Jared Navanka without having any special, special juice from being some sort of state actor. And of course, uh, for every Jew, honestly, uh, being activated by Mossad is—it's really just a phone call away, right? If he would need a phone call, he's probably he would probably be calling them if he could help out. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, Ayatollah, have you watched this uh, Friedman character at all? Do you have any takes on him?
7: I'm not really, I'm obviously aware of him. I mean, there seemed to be a lot of his stuff going around in our circles at the height of all the Kanye West stuff like just over a year ago and thereabouts. I mean, I've seen less of him since, but I don't go out my way looking for him. But I mean, the, the point I would make on this is it's it's, it's it, it bears repeating. Keith's done good stuff on this or made reference to it in various things in the past. It bears repeating that was it something Keith will remember the numbers, but like the editors of a majority of the, the kind of like left social democrat newspapers in the Cold War era in Europe were CIA assets. I mean, the, the National Review from its inception, I think, was to one degree both CIA. A creation you know Buckley was was Harvard or something wasn't he and he got connections there and it was also I think Jewish um and then the, the beyond that I mean, I mean I think kind of having bromides like that it's it's an important thing for um for the for a regime like the one under which we live which has got to maintain it, it it's not just it can't just be a straight up balls out tyranny it's got to maintain a facade of legitimacy and consent like they it's important to have those kind of bromides and that whether just you know safety relief valves call them what you you know say sorry pressure relief valves call them what you want for the containment of people that are just showing signs of potential for a bit of informed descent you know you're kind of 110 to 130 iq white men this is where your jordan peterson's and that come in to whatever degree there's i think you get gray zone a lot with these people where they can be simultaneously okay well we want to promote them and use them a bit but then there are other times where maybe they go go a bit too far lawrence fox at the kind of lower brow end of this is an example of this in this country where i think they'll be promoted and platformed at times i'll get them on question time and then at other times it's like okay yeah send the police around because of something he said about a woman on, on gb news or whatever it was or about you know ultra low emission zone cameras but like at the end of the day what's the difference i mean the question was is he a state asset and I, th- th- that raises another question what's the difference between being a deep state assets so like let's say in the case in America so you know the CIA or really the Mossad I mean what's the difference between that and just being an asset of Jews who control the media because the two ultimately work to pretty similar ends and like you said it's a phone call away you could be either one of those you could be both (sighs) like I wonder this about a lot of people I wonder it about Douglas Murray as well you know as a kind of a containment you know Douglas Murray's been very shrill since it all kicked off with Hamas in mm-hmm. in Israel, so uh, we kind of, to a point, the speculation is almost moot because they kind of, they they perform, people like that perform the kind of the, the, the function that uh, they'd probably want people like that to, to perform, perform even if they
0: didn't. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that comes to mind about a lot of the synthetic promoted culture that we have you, you look at it and it's, it's, it's utterly vapid and it's a waste of time. And you wonder what purpose does this serve? And you you, you can speculate, well, is it corralling dissent? Is he some sort of deep state plant? Another purpose that people like that serve, and they don't have to have, you know consciously try to do anything at all, is they just take up space. And they take up space in such a way that they block something of real quality from being seen. You know, Art galleries full of crap art, right? Music festivals full of crap music. Why is this done? Why is there such a, you know, a push for bad quality stuff that's ephemeral? In a way, I think it's, it's there only to drown out Good quality things from having a chance, from seeing any light, any daylight, from taking root, from having any effect, and and that might just be the purpose of some of these people. They're simply there to occupy space so that nothing nothing of any value uh, can pop up. Uh, anyway, th- that's that's one thought. Tim, have you followed uh, this Lex Friedman character at all? Yeah, there, there's there's a, a handful of characters. Uh, that came on the back
4: uh, of well in and around the time of let's say Jordan Peterson that look like they're just filling space they're fillers uh, but Lex Friedman is is fascinating to me because he's like his own he's he's like his own imbe- if you go back to like let's say NBC News when we were a kid he's having on he's having on guests like they would have on you know like that there's three news networks in America and Lex Friedman in in the 21st century is running one we got John Mershire we got Mersheimer, we got Elon Musk, we got Jared Kushner, we got Zuckerberg, we got um, uh, Walter Isaacson, we've got uh, Andrew Huberman, a kind of an interesting guy, Benjamin Netanyahu, <laughs> we got uh, Noah Harari, uh, Robert F Kennedy Jr. Now we're just going back four months here, guys. <laughs> Mark Andreessen with millions and millions of views. Yeah, this is uh, this is your 21st century news network right there running there you go filling filling time filling space uh bringing on the uh the who's who and it is incredibly boring most of the time uh the ones i've seen so that i think everyone's spot on there but it, it is fascinating how someone can come out of nowhere but he has the connections to bring on all these people now i would say that I don't know. We probably had a few podcasters on right now that, that if you had this kind of guest lineup, you'd have views a lot bigger than his. Uh, but it's just, it's a sign of the times. And it is what's fascinating to me is that he's paid by an algorithm. He's paid by, uh, by, you know, uh, various different upsells along the ways. But by and large, he's paid by YouTube ad revenues, so on, so forth, et cetera. So it's like the system is, recycling money (laughs) to these guys in a variety of different ways it's pretty inter. it's a pretty intriguing model i I think elon musk is is running something sort of uh although i think he has different motives Uh, he's running a recycling uh type of deal with with twitter you know if you're talented you can rise to the top and uh you can get kickbacks on your tweets and stuff like that uh, so it's kind of interesting to watch this uh, this new model of programming, if you will, um, which isn't much of a departure of the past, but but other than how they're paid and and how they come
0: about, it's it's interesting. Yeah, so we have another guest who's just dropping by. before I bring him on, though, I just want to thank everybody who's been donating so far, and we've run out of super chat. So folks, if you have questions, and you want to help out CounterCurrents, go to entropystream.live forward slash CounterCurrents. I want to make sure that we're not overlooking some other things on Odyssey. Okay, or Live. White Rabbit Radio just donated a Ninjagini. Thank you, cheers to CounterCurrents. Roan Woods donated one ice cream. Thank you very much. G- uh, Gadius Maximus donates $10 on Odyssey. Thanks Gadius uh, to your face. Happy Thanksgiving, countercurrents, countercurrents super chats, the little bot we have on Telegram says we've raised $565 t- towards the matching grant. So that's great. We've got still more than $10,000 left to go. Fan of the era on Odyssey has donated 10 US dollars, and he has quotes from a song about white rioting. Okay. I think whites need to riot more. I think we would be uh, <laughs> uh, respected a little bit more if we rioted a bit. So yeah, no, uh, no, no arguments there. Uh, I That's also have a question.
7: That, is, that was that was like an anti-white song by the Clash, who were very subversive. Mick Jones was half Jewish, just uh, for the
0: record. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, yes. we're we're subverting the subverters. I, I like oh, yes. that. Yeah. I that. So. Um, I have a question here. Another question from Lovecraft's cat. Greg, have you seen Napoleon and will Trevor Lynch have some words on it? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, and yes. I have seen Napoleon and Trevor Lynch is going to have some words on it. Uh, I'll say a few words now, actually. But before I do that, I want to add Endeavor. Endeavor, welcome to the show.
8: Thank you for having me on again, Greg, and hello to all, Tim, Keith, Gadius, and Ayatollah. Yeah, we got quite the crowd. Uh, just <laughs> before I uh, before we get into it, I just want to say congratulations to Keith because I'm pretty sure that uh, you're the MVP for this year. Uh, I think that goes without question. Uh, year of yeah, Keith Woods.
3: Thank you.
0: Yeah, uh, honestly, I have Travis LeBlanc working on the movement MVP article for the year, and it's it's on you. So yeah, it was, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. it's was yeah. it been a great year for Keith Woods and his rising tide is floating all of our boats. And I, I think that's a, extremely exciting. And when, uh, you know, he's again, he's got the ear of people like Elon Musk and Conor McGregor and God knows how many other people are lurking out there listening. Uh, it's just a tremendous opportunity for us. I, I wanna just say something about the Napoleon film. There are a lot of history nerds who are just dis- dissing this film because you know the buckle was on the wrong side or something like that. I, I, I've I've been seeing you know the beginning of some entire Twitter threads where people are are carping about little things like that. I think that if you could, he could have mixed up Elba and Saint Helena and still done a great movie. The little historical details don't matter all that much. It's a movie about a person that everybody's heard of and yet most people know very little about. And the great question in the minds of any normie who's going to buy a ticket and walk in is what's all this fuss about Napoleon? Why, what was so great about Napoleon? And this movie does nothing to answer that question. It gives you absolutely no sense of how this man inspired uh, a whole nation and really all of Europe it gives you absolutely no sense how he inspired soldiers, how he took control of the government, how he has you know, gone down in history as, as a great figure. It's a completely bizarre movie. It just shows Napoleon as like some insider guy who's sort of around at, when the revolution and people just give him things. It was completely enigmatic how this guy became who he was because as far as I can tell, Ridley Scott doesn't get it. He doesn't, he doesn't give any, he doesn't give any of the rationale for why a strong man would have emerged from the revolution. There's carping. Oh, it's corrupt. Oh, it's chaotic. But uh, how he was the solution and was seen as the solution by so many French, it's never made logical. His relationship with Josephine never really made logical. But then again, that's a love affair. Maybe it can never be made logical. It goes on for nearly three hours, and it started getting boring after a while. So there's this famous saying, no man is a hero to his valet. And Hegel had a brilliant comment on that. He said, no man is a hero to his valet, not because the hero isn't a hero, but because the valet is a valet meaning that from the perspective of a humble person, like a valet, heroism is just over his head. He, he doesn't get it. It's, it's above his pay grade, it's above his IQ, it's above his perception of reality. And that's sort of how I feel about this movie. Ridley Scott is a, a very competent filmmaker and craftsman, but Napoleon isn't a hero in this movie not because he wasn't a hero, but because Ridley Scott is Ridley Scott, and apparently it's just entirely above him. And so the, the net effect of this is that it's very beautiful to look at in many places, but it leaves you with this question, yeah, well, well, what was the big deal? It just, it just, it makes that episode in history seem, I think to any kind of normie person, entirely unintelligible. And I, I just thought it was uh, just a wasted opportunity. Endeavor, have you seen this film? Do you have any thoughts on it? We'll just oh, I, go
8: haven't, I haven't yet. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to. If, if I get the chance, I'd like to see it, but uh, I, I can't really say anything about it yet. Um, I mean, I, I think with Ridley Scott, my, th- my thing with him is that I think he's an extremely talented director. He's a good filmmaker. But well, I do, have, I do find it kind of annoying that he'll insert liberal themes into history where they don't belong. I really dislike the movie kingdom of heaven because it's just like, you, you just see uh, him inserting uh, modern progressivism and multiculturalism into a, into a historical context where it had absolutely no place. But um, yeah. I mean, he does make good films in terms of filmmaking. So
0: yeah. One. Uh, the, the, the things that he inserted most in this film that were out of place were just black people. They were, you know there were some around definitely there could have been some but there were there were ones that were inserted in places where they they surely did not actually exist that was annoying but that's you, know, you 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 practically don't notice that anymore in movies i i do but a lot of people don't and it certainly wasn't ridiculous i mean josephine wasn't played by a black woman for instance not yet not in this movie in 20 years maybe but anyway, yeah, it, 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 uh, I like historic, uh, historical films. I like grand historical films. I like films with long running time if they actually fill them up with something good. But yeah, this was, uh, this was curiously empty of any indication of, of, of why this figure was so important. Now, Joaquin Phoenix, who plays him, is a very talented actor, but there was simply nothing he could conjure up out of the script that he was given. And he he just, you know, he just glowers around and looks sour all the time. Anyway, um, Tala, have you had a a chance to see this or or have you been following any of the critical reaction to it?
7: Um, No to both, I'm afraid. The last last film I saw was Oppenheimer, so no, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll try and contribute one thing on, on a sort of an unrelated tangent here um you, you mentioned about the kind of ahistorical insertion of, of blacks into the film i've i've taken to using the phrase of my own creation to describe anything dark like you know a dark sky it getting dark early something dark in color or mood as like you know blacker than an ad break um because for reasons that <laughs> are quite obvious <laughs> kind of but it's a good test with normies i think you know not to sort of pathologize people for not being autistic weirdos like us but it's a good time because m- most of them have noticed this. The, the key thing is they've not necessarily noticed that they've noticed. You know, the old yeah. thing of you say to somebody, You ever noticed? this, isn't, isn't there like a weird overrepresentation of white woman, black man couples in advertising? And then they'll be like, Oh, yeah. Like, and they, they've either noticed and not noticed that they've noticed, or they've noticed and that they kind of think, Well, I know because of my lifetime of psychological abuse that I'm meant to pretend that I've not noticed.
0: It's right. <laughs> always a good in
7: with people because every, by, by God, does the average person watch a lot of telly and Netflix and whatever else. Yeah. So that's always a good in with people, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, taken to sort of using that darker than an ad break or blacker than an ad break or whatever. Cause everyone, everyone knows. Mm-hmm. I,
8: I actually have an upcoming Substack uh, on this because I use this VPN to access certain sites and the VPN connects me to uh, a server in Germany and uh you know i I don't speak german so i i've never been to the country so uh, i don't know too much about it but if if all i knew about the country was from these advertisements i'd be under the impression that germany was 50 percent black even though it's less than it's like one percent i mean it's just somebody did a study of this
7: somebody did a study that started to cut across you somebody did a a little an, an english lad on twitter did a little study of this going back a few weeks and i forget the numbers now but America and Britain, unsurprisingly, were the worst offenders for the over overrepresentation of blacks and non-whites relative to their actual demographics. And what did he do then? He went and looked at Russia, and I think he looked at China, and everybody in their adverts was Russian or Chinese. Despite the fact, actually, in Russia, it's like 20-odd percent of the population. they are various Central Asians and, or, you know, Chechens and Tatars and... Uh, god knows us backs or whatever and obviously you know china is overwhelmingly han and they yeah. all kind of look the same, well, I mean, up, more or less but yeah
8: i've spent several years in russia and i think i can remember maybe three times in my entire time in russia that i saw uh black people in advertisements uh yeah and uh, there was this one that was kind of, was pretty egregious but other than that it's you don't see it you'll see it mostly blonde hair blue-eyed families
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Gaddius, have you uh, Any thoughts on the recent Napoleon Have you had a chance to see that yet
5: Uh, Ridley Scott uh, bats about 500 for me half and half Usually uh, it's like A a good one and then a couple crappy ones And then another good one I haven't seen it yet I plan on seeing it just because it's a Ridley Scott film but uh, It's about Napoleon And I don't uh, Speaking of France I was just scrolling the Timeline it looks like the protests may have spread to france uh there was that 16 year old boy that got uh stabbed in Creepole there a few days ago uh thomas something and uh it looks like some some lads are uh walking down the street with uh you know their flags flying and everything so it looks like this ireland thing is uh maybe maybe the kindling to something that's going to sweep across you know the european world i thought i thought about it last night and uh the ireland thing it really seemed like it was gonna it was gonna be a watershed moment because this was this was even before the the rioting started or anybody even mobilized down in dublin i was thinking to myself i'm like uh you know this this really is like because you think about ireland and it's like uh you think about what the libtards and what the you know third worlders or whatever they always say about the west they go oh well you deserve it because of colonialism blah 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 and it's like well ireland never really done any any of that stuff and like uh, one, one of the excuses is well the irish moved to here here and here like millions of irish spread out over 200 years so why can't they have immigrants there but it's like you think about what happened with the the kids that got stabbed and it's like ireland does not i mean none of our countries deserve any of this but especially ireland they've, they've done nothing so it's like it you you see the reaction to it from the lads in dublin and it's like it, it's like it seems like it's going to be that's going to be like the starting point of like the entire the entire like pendulum swinging back the other way as far as like the you know the uh, invasion of europe and everything
0: so I I hope that's true. Uh, That argument that, oh, so many Irish left Ireland, so Ireland should be open to everybody. It's crazy. First of all, uh, why should the people who stayed home be subjected to infinity migrants? uh, Because some of their cousins from centuries past left. But the other thing that's really interesting about that argument is that it's tacitly admitting that Migration isn't a boon. Diversity isn't a strength. These people aren't coming to enrich Ireland. They're coming there to punish the Irish, and they deserve it good and hard. And I I love that. It's like, okay, you're admitting, you're admitting that this is not good for the Irish. You're admitting that this is punishment for their sins. And that's ultimately why this diversity stuff is being pushed. It's being pushed on white people by people who think, that we're wicked and we deserve it, good and hard. We deserve yeah. diversity, good and hard. Uh, if, Keith, do you have any thoughts on this?
3: Yeah, I mean, people have noticed this. Obviously, you know, with Ireland, we can't have borders because we're a nation of emigrants and, um, you know, the <laughs> US can kind of borders because they're a nation of immigrants and France and Britain can't have borders because of colonialism. Um, but I mean, what it comes down to is no white country can of borders. I mean. I um, it was kind of funny. I, I I quote tweeted. I saw this liberal on on Twitter yesterday, and she she did this thread where she started off saying that so many Irish people have emigrated. She's making this argument, and because of that, we've no right to deny the same thing to anyone else coming here. Because you know, as a as a monolith, as a collective, we benefited from this. And then, like her her immediate tweet after this, where she was talking about migrant crime, is she said. Acts of individuals don't implicate an entire group of people who are not a monolith.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
9: On,
3: on yeah. the one hand, you know, we can't um we can't base policy of of the you know the actions of a group, we, we have to look at them as individuals, but also we're not allowed to have border security because we as a monolith emigrated. So yeah. I mean, you see so many contradictions like this, but obviously what it comes down to is is they're rationalizing the conclusion they already have, which is you know, you can't have an opinion that's that's negative about immigration if, yeah. if you guys want an even more ridiculous example of this kind
8: of argument a couple years ago one of my subscribers in finland uh told me that the narrative they were pushing was that because finland sold tar which was used to build slave ships the finnish are guilty of slavery <laughs> i mean they'll, yeah. they'll just they'll, i mean i wonder like did did some guy in Liechtenstein? One sell a coffee to someone who owns own slaves and that's I mean they'll just they'll they'll find any kind of ridiculous like tiny detail from history and uh, like Keith said they're basically just trying to find some rationalization from yeah. it for it.
0: Yeah I, I love it. America has to have infinity migrants because we're a nation of immigrants. And Ireland has to have infinity migrants because they're a nation of emigrants. Heads we win you know, it, 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 we we lose either way, it, and it's it's an obvious, transparent game, uh, and we just, we just need to hang up the phone on these people after mocking them thoroughly on Twitter and pilloring them and getting them to turn off their replies, which has been uh, a great pleasure recently. Uh, mm-hmm. Folks, I've got a bunch of new people clamoring to get on. Let me add Pox Pox Populi is dropping in. Pox, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you just fine. Gadius was just mentioning that things are kind of kicking off in France. Do you have anything to add about that?
6: Yeah, uh, I, I I, just uh, I haven't been able to listen to the stream, unfortunately. But I, as I was waiting sort of backstage, I, I just caught the uh, talent of Gadius commenting on France there. And uh, yes, it has really kicked off. Um, and I just checked some of my French connections. And um, it's not just... Uh, Frenchmen, you know, taking to the streets and uh, with the, some banners and demanding uh, justice for Thomas, the sixteen-year-old boy who was stabbed to death. Um, it's chaos. It's it's gone. It's gone. It's gone crazy. Um, the it's a huge number of Frenchmen, French patriots. They were initially barricaded, blocked off, met with police resistance. Um, the French state has ironically said that these Frenchmen have attempted to invade uh, an area where there is a substantial Maghrebi population. So the French are invading France, according to the, the French.
0: The French are invading France,
6: okay. According to the French and, state. And Maghrebis <laughs>
0: need to have borders in France. Yes, yes. Against the, the French. And the, and the, they're normally called
7: banlieues, are they? Sorry, Tala? So they're normally yeah. called banlieues, those borders, aren't they?
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No go zones, ban lose Um and so the reason why these uh, Frenchmen have um marched into that area is because they are going. It is kicking off. It is kicking off, guys. Um the the backstory is that in the same week, uh in the same, you know, seven day span that we had an Algerian stabbing Irish toddlers in Dublin, just days before that, um, a group mostly comprised of North Africans. But there were also some some, like Asian types. Um, Well, they descended upon this town called Crepol that was having its uh, local festival, celebrating, I think it's like the the foundation of their village, fewer than a thousand uh, inhabitants. And they went with um, axes and 20 centimeter knives, and they were shouting, we're here to kill white people. And they did, they killed uh, a French boy named Thomas, and um, Tomas and his rugby teammates had tried to defend their friends and family and their town. And uh, Tomas perished in that valiant effort. Then uh, a day or two after that, his rugby teammates, they did um, what's called in France a white march. It's basically just a silent march um, in his honor, demanding justice. And the police, um, the local French police, actually stopped that as well. That was just a peaceful, you know, march uh, in, in solemn remembrance of a slain 16-year-old boy. And even that had to be stopped. Well, tonight, um, they, they've, they've gone much further than just a peaceful protest. They went, these Frenchmen, uh, these French patriots went, to the Banlu, where those Maghrebis came from so they're going to the source they're going to they're going to the enemy encampment basically and French police protected the Maghrebis and then um they tried to stop the French uh, the Frenchmen, from going and and you know they were of course they had a banner that said uh, justice for Thomas and everything like that and then um there's now a video going around social media of uh, a white uh, French young man who was um, sort of taken, kidnapped, uh, taken hostage, I guess, by the, by the Arabs, um, and they beat him up, and uh, they actually, he had been sitting in a police car. He was in the back of a police car, and according to what I've read, the Maghrebis actually smashed the uh, the windshield of the car, the police vehicle, and like smashed into the police vehicle and, and extracted him, and then took him to a undisclosed location and sort of beating him up, and then they just sort of left his body out there and filmed it for humiliation and everything like that. So um, yeah, you know, it's kicked off in Ireland. Um, France is always just uh a powder keg ready ready to explode. you never know what's going to what's going to set France off, but there's definitely um things are happening um it's intense it's exciting it's uh it's dangerous and it could all be avoided too if people like us had been listened to years ago.
5: I say we keep it going till Christmas, boys. I don't know about you guys. <laughs>
0: Well, again, the establishment isn't going to change its policies, the policies that are making these kinds of backlashes inevitable. So I think it will keep going. It'll keep going as long as they make it necessary, as long as they promote multiculturalism, as long as they gag criticism of it, as long as they cover up the crimes and costs of multiculturalism. This is going to happen. It will only stop when multiculturalism as a policy stops and when there's honesty about what's happening and when there's freedom to criticize the establishment then it'll stop and I I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon though because the people who are running all of our nations into the ground are not going to stop until they are dragged kicking and screaming out of their positions of power. My, my, my standard response to these people is, is to say, look, you are promoting an inherently violent ideology. You're promoting multiculturalism, which creates conditions of hatred and resentment and explosive violence. When problems crop up, you hide them, you cover it up. When people complain, you gag them. And then you are shocked, shocked when there's an explosion of basically people speaking the only way that they can speak under the intolerable conditions you have created. Everybody who stands up for multiculturalism, they need to be told to shut up, stand down and cede power to nationalists who will fix their mess. That, that should be the, the mantra, shut up, cede power, let nationalists fix this mess.
8: Yeah. uh i kind of sorry i sorry to cut in uh i yeah, was watching yeah. your show i was watching the show last week and you guys were going around the panel and coming up with your own with your own laws pox came up with his law and there was morgoth's law well uh this i, I it kind of got me thinking what would if i had to come up with my own with endeavors law what would that be and i, I it came to me this uh this past week because of what what happened in ireland that um and what endeavors law is is uh, that whenever there's an atrocity committed by non-whites against whites, a narrative is going to be spun by the establishment, which makes it such that being angry about the atrocity is considered morally worse than the atrocity itself. And within a couple of hours, there were these headlines out of the daily mail as reading something along the lines of uh, night of shame in Dublin, far right thugs, uh, riot and police battle with a mob and then at the end just at the bot after after uh, children are stabbed don't say by who and you see under underneath the headline says a man stabbed uh children so you know they have the phrases far right thug mob not, they have the phrase night of shame all of this for um the irish uh, being angry about their children being stabbed and then the the assailant they just describe describe him as a man and when you read a headline like that you're what you're supposed to come away with is, is the feeling that the irish are morally worse uh for defending themselves and standing up against people who would murder their, their children than the murderers themselves and uh in can the I just the say sorry
7: go yeah. ahead yeah sorry go ahead i, told, well, no, I, I was this just that guy that saying that yeah,
8: yeah. It, it, I was just gonna say that uh, what Pox is talking about in going on in France. and I haven't been following that that closely, but it, it seems like it's the same thing. That the police were nowhere to be seen when a bu- when an uh, an anti-white gang showed up in this town to murder to murder children, murdering this young man. Yet when the French uh, get angry about this and then decide to do something, well, then the police are there to defend the to defend the foreigners.
6: Did you I mean, see the New York reading. Times uh, yeah. headline? Uh, regarding the uh, events in Dublin, you'll you'll it'll, you'll you'll enjoy this uh, bitterly. This is what the New York Times had to say. The the headline is this quote: "It snowballed." Uh, end quote. How a knife attack in Dublin led to a riot. The violence in Ireland's capital on Thursday night was fueled by far right agitators who spread rumors online about an attack on three children earlier that day. So um, I guess it's fine. You know, the attack didn't happen. No, it was just rumors. Like that the, the stabbed kids must be breathing a sigh of relief. It was just a rumor from spread by the far right. Um, and then later on in the actual uh, article, The Times goes on to say, uh, it, was, it is understood uh, that, you know, these rumors included false claims that the attacker was a foreign national. Sources have indicated to the BBC that the man suspected of carrying out the attack is an Irish citizen who has lived in the country for 20 years. Oh, there we go. Oh yeah. When you think you hate the mainstream media, media. you must realize you don't hate them enough. Yeah. My my
5: favorite part about all of this, uh, if we're talking about media and headlines is the, the media outlets will turn off their replies on Twitter, like sky news or even the, uh, even the broad that's in charge of uh,
7: Ireland. Was he going to say something taller? I was going to say, yeah, it bears repeating with with all of this, particularly with what Endeavour's talking about, where the, you know the the reaction is, you know, a, a greater atrocity than the original atrocity. Bears repeating, of course, and we all kind of know this, that we we live under the yoke both directly and indirectly of the original victim-blamers. I mean, these are people, these are itinerant people who were the inspiration for proverbs in various Slavic languages like, obviously, stri- you know crying out in pain as they strike you and they'll always tell you what happened and never why the new york times example certainly in the headline is a good example of that oh it's just rumored you know and the, the, the gaslighting within that i mean just on the whole thing of an i want to say quickly as well an inherently violent ideology um it, this is really kind of blunt and simple but that's the beauty of it one of the best questions you can ever ask of anyone who's an apologist for the sort of current, you know dispensation is you know we, we see all these kind of you know you've only got to go on the mail online website oh such and such sparks race row over strictly condensing. how many race rows do you get in monoracial societies you know that's one question to ask you can reduce it to the most trivial things like the just the endless sort of background noise of oh race row over this side the other let alone actual violent atrocities but you point that out and then you one of my favorites to ask of people that want to i don't know kind of uh you know, sort of aspirational, you know, you're asp- the archetype of the aspirational midwit midwif- who wants to kind of flex on uh, <clears throat> kind of working class people is, you know, these sort of working class English people that you despise. Yeah, I concede a lot of them really don't like Pakistanis. When have you ever heard them go on like a sort of a Carling-fueled tirade against Bolivians? They'll glaze over because the answer to that is very obvious. They couldn't point Bolivia out on a map, and good, they don't need to worry about it. And why don't they need to worry about it? They don't need to worry about it because they've never come in, into contact with a Bolivian in their life. There weren't several million Bolivians shipped into their country, so there's not really the potential Absolutely. for any sort of unrest or strife, is there? Mm-hmm. And you could apply that to any combination of ethnic groups you want. And the other thing is the most dangerous question That's you can ever point. ask where all of this is concerned most dangerous question you can ever ask where all this is concerned, and I just do this all day, every day on Twitter. Name one thing non-whites can do that we can't do ourselves and that we can't survive or thrive without, because anyone you ask knows the answer to that question. If they're, if they're sufficiently sort of competent to read it and think, oh, okay, well, we wouldn't actually starve to death without Balti and not try that one, you know, the, the, they know the answer is nothing. There's, there's nothing they can come up with. And they know the next question after that is, you, you know, you would ask, well, why are there millions of them in our countries then? And Mm -hmm. then you're kind of bringing the whole thing into question. So it's always the best question you can ask because they'll never, you know, if if they even attempt to answer it, they're very naive to actually try because they know what the next question is. But most of them will run from it and just try and say, oh, it's in bad faith. It's a fake question. It's the most important question of all because it's the question orientated around native interest in white countries. It's as simple as that
8: and what is encouraging is that it does seem like we're we're winning the battle on twitter now again it's, it's oh, twitter man. but this is really the public ground i mean we're, i just see the i just see these guys getting ratioed left right and center there's elon musk chiming in uh you know it's interacting with people like keith uh you know he, he'll have some cold takes but still the fact that he's you know uh, he, our ideas are not beyond the pale for him that's a bi- that's a big plus but you really see a lot of these really bad takes just being absolutely ratioed, be it this Zionist guy saying like how, uh, basically saying he doesn't feel bad for Ireland, for Irish people being murdered because uh, because they don't feel bad enough for Israelis. You know, it's incredible that uh, you don't even have to do anything to Israel for, for, for them to hate you, for Zionists to, to hate you. You just have to not sufficiently love this foreign country. Um, I, 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 I I had a go today at E. Michael Jones uh you know because he he came out with with the tired uh take that the irish what was the quote exactly Oh something like that The irish any, are not white yeah exactly the, the the irish are not white something like he said uh that any they've irish been, they've been person, victimized
6: by identity theft any irish yeah, yeah. who thinks he's white is a victim of identity theft
8: and then, and then, he and then he
6: recommended his followers read Noel Ignatiev.
8: Noel Ignatiev of all people! <laughs> I mean, like, uh, and but you, but uh, he's getting he's getting absolutely ratioed on 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 Twitter. Um, I I, I ratioed him in one of my replies. In one of my replies, I ratioed one of his replies to another person. Uh, his his initial tweet is being ratioed, and you know, I I just think that a lot of these arguments aren't flying anymore. I mean, it, it, it's just. To, to, and I can't believe that the, that, that this guy's actually going is sinking so low as to um, as to reference the most vile anti-white of them all. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I can I can go on about why why the uh, the myth of um, the Irish not being white is is not true. I think I don't need to here because everyone what? knows the
5: answer to it woes had the best uh meme to that is basically uh from american history x uh, that was derek, brilliant yeah. derek venya sitting <laughs> at the dinner table scowling at the at the jewish guy and it said uh whenever e michael jones brings up anything else other than the jq and it's so true."
7: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this, this is a great. If, ad. if, you, if you're going to piss the most powerful people off, like why why would you then legitimise it? Like you've kind of crossed the Rubicon in just talking about Jewish power. Why would you just bottle it on everything else? That's what I don't get. It was I, I think as well? Like I'll say this on 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 the Twitter thing. Look, if Twitter didn't matter, would the ADL have tried to destroy it when there was just a, a, a threat of a hint of free expression being allowed on there? Anyway, I'll shut up. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, with E. Michael Jones' logic is that the Jews have uh,
8: undermined Western civilization and spread lies and propagandized us. Oh, but, oh, but about race. Oh, they were totally correct about that.
3: Yeah. yeah, I'll just say, you know, if the Irish aren't white, why are the globalists so keen to uh, fill it full of Africans? Yeah, if the Irish aren't
0: white, why do they have to have open borders? Yeah, if the Irish aren't white, why do they have white guilt? Hmm. You know, I mean, you know, I love it when people say, well, can you define white? And it's like, uh, the people who have white guilt. You have no trouble pointing us out when you want to impute historical crimes to us. So why should we have any que- you know questions uh, about who we are? We're the ones with white guilt. Uh, uh, I have a question here uh, from Mary Ann. Mary Ann, uh, okay, okay, two things, two things. Uh, Time is flying by. Uh, I have to, uh, I have people in the lobby who wanna come in and that means I have to say goodbye to uh, a couple of folks. Tim, uh, is there anything you'd like to say just to wrap up? Uh, I I really appreciate having you on. Uh, Yeah, I got you coming on here in a few weeks myself, uh, December
4: 11th, just to remind you. So you guys look out, be on the lookout for that. But I think one of the things real quick that I've been surprised about is as the, the battle over free speech, uh, which is has been kind of, uh, in some cases, very straightforward on Twitter or X, I guess you could say these days. And in some cases, very confusing. Uh, as that battle has went forward, it's it's opened up a lot of different things behind the scene. And there's a lot of uh, different companies, different, let's see, the platform we're on now, um, Odyssey. There's a lot of different suppliers to Odyssey that I thought would cut them off that haven't cut them off. And I think it's a byproduct
0: of this battle that's going on, this argument, and so I think that's a good thing, yeah, I think it's a good thing too. well, thank you so much, and I'm really looking forward to being on your show very sure. soon. Thank you, thanks for having me, yeah, yeah, I'm getting messages from Odyssey saying that we, there there are more than ten people who want on. you've got to uh, say goodbye um so uh, endeavor can i can we wrap up too do you have any last thoughts uh before uh, we say goodbye
8: oh uh, well i just want to say thanks for having me on again it's always a pleasure and i just feel a lot more optimistic last couple of months you know things are going well on twitter it seems like we're all united you know it's not these telegram wars where we're at where we're at each other's throats and uh i i'm just very optimistic about the way that things are going lately i mean certainly it's a a tragedy what's happened to, uh, young people in France and Ireland and really ra- around the Western world. Unfortunately though, that's been going on for years and years, but now we're kind of starting to see a bit of a pushback. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. There isn't going to be the revolution tomorrow. What this just means is we got to keep pushing and keep doing what we're doing. So, uh, thanks for having me on and I'll talk to you guys later. Have a good night. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: So let me welcome a few new people. Uh, I want to welcome Friedrich Friedrich. Welcome hello everybody happy thanksgiving and uh yeah thanks for having me (laughs) yeah yeah well you're a very loyal friend and listener and reader so let me add james kirkpatrick to the stage this isn't the james kirkpatrick at vdare this is a real james kirkpatrick james (laughs) welcome (laughs) thank you greg hello everybody yeah, um, and uh, I, I just another person is popping in. Okay, Austin, let me, well, let me welcome our friend Austin. Austin, can you hear me?
10: I can, Dr. Johnson. Thanks for having me on.
0: Great, great. And I'm going, to, I'm going to wait to add Carl until the top of the hour. So just hold on for a minute, Carl. I have a question here from Marianne. Marianne wants us to talk about some other events besides Ireland that are hopeful And she wants to get some comments from the panel on the Argentine election and the election in the Netherlands. So any thoughts about uh, Milai? And I don't don't even know if that's how it's properly pronounced. uh, And uh, uh, Wilders. I want to go first. Well, let's let's ask Keith first. He's the first after me on the screen. So, Keith, thoughts about what's happened in Argentina and the Netherlands. Uh, is this also reason to be hopeful?
3: Um, I'm less optimistic about Milad than I am about the Dutch result. I mean, obviously, there's two schools of thought here, which is, on the one hand, yes, it's it's that people are uh, shifting to populist candidates. They're voting for more right-wing candidates. There seems to be some kind of pushback that's translating electorally. Um, and then you have the camp that says, you know, these people are Zionists. Uh, this is an op. Don't fall for it, that kind of thing. Um I think you can, you know, you can you can look at both sides of that and say we can be optimistic about the progress. People didn't vote for Millay or Gert Wilders because um, they want to move the embassy to Jerusalem, right? They, they voted for them as an opposition to leftism. Um, I'm less optimistic about Millay, I guess, because you know it's less relevant to us in terms of you know he wasn't running on on a platform based on uh, immigration or, or those kinds of issues, but it, it was this kind of anti statist libertarian thing but builders obviously that's an anti-immigration vote right and i believe his his final vote tally was way above uh, any projections doubled his number of seats um and yeah i mean the, the people that voted for him uh, you know okay he's a he's a liberal um he has all these strong positions on zionism but the i don't think the voters were, were especially thinking about that when they voted they're pushing back um against mass immigration and uh, you know there was there was actually two attacks on one of the other uh, populist leaders in in the Netherlands um, because they had been gaining some momentum as well. So yeah, you know right now the candidates are, are far from perfect, right? Uh, but it's opening a space where nationalists that do put their country first and that are a genuine alternative are are going to have a more fertile ground. Um, so I hope we see it translate. Uh, into that and i hope we see more results like this across europe to be honest um and you look know, whatever builder's policy on israel is i mean if he if he reverses immigration if he re-migrates people if he closes the borders that's going to be a net positive and i'll be happy about that
0: yeah absolutely i feel the same way what are your thoughts gadius
5: I don't
3: really know all that much
5: about either of these things. I was listening to uh, a couple of uh, Dutch friends talk about the elections as they were coming in live. And, um, You know, I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, they, they were sort of arguing with each other over what it means. And they're both, you know, in this sphere. And I just thought that was pretty interesting because they're, you know, they're both on the level and they're both from the same country, but they had like totally different uh, takes on it. One was more optimistic than the other. And I, I tend to be more of an optimist myself. So I'd probably echo what Keith said about it. Uh, as far as the Argentine guy, eh, I just think it's kind of neat that somebody with like, you know, like a quote unquote fringe ideology, like uh, became like the chief executive of of a country. I think that's I think that's kind of cool because that's what, you know, this sphere is technically we're out on the fringe. We're far right or whatever you want to call it. And uh, I just thought that was pretty neat, Uh, regardless of whether I mean, yeah, I'd rather have somebody who's. Uh, "Quote unquote right wing than left wing, but I mean he is he 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 just seems to be like a crazy person, a crazy person that got <laughs> elected to uh, the presidency or whatever. And for for me, that's good. I like to see stuff like that because I mean it's it's more or less just uh, you know throwing throwing a throwing a bomb at the system or whatever. So that's pretty much my take. I'm not I'm not like optimistic or pessimistic either way about it. It's just we'll see how we'll see how it plays
0: out." Right. Pox, any thoughts about these two elections?
6: Um, I don't get too excited about political results, uh, elections. I think Keith was pretty spot on there. Uh, I don't have too much to to add, so um, I'll just leave it there and and let other people um, have their say.
0: Yeah. James, how about yourself? Have you been following the Argentine and Holland elections?
9: I've just gleaned things here and there from the chat and from the news. I, I really don't follow it, like Pox was saying. Um, I, I'm the same way. I, just ge- a few general thoughts on it. You know, I think that anytime there are departures uh, from just business as usual, whenever, you know, th- th- these expressions of uh, populism, um, I think they're generally a good thing. Obviously, n- neither the Argentine uh, nor the, uh, uh, the uh, Dutch uh, candidate, you know, they're, they're not ideal, they're not us, they're not our guys, so to speak. But I think the more people get comfortable with uh, departing from the safe, uh, you know, the safe, quote unquote, conservative, uh, whether that's liberal or conservative, but you know what I mean, uh, choices it's a step in the right direction, and it kind of greases them up for uh, doing more extreme things, ideally in the future.
11: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Friedrich? Yeah, I was just, uh, you know, I I agree with Keith in general and with James and, uh, you know, I haven't uh, really followed it, but, uh, you know, I think we should be optimistic because you know, at least the Overton window is getting widened, right? And, uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, I'm pretty sure people didn't vote for them because uh, they are Zionists. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, I think, I'm sure they're quite sincere in their beliefs about Jews, but there's a great deal of pressure for anybody involved in mainstream politics to have those sincere beliefs as a sort of shield. And this is, this is the curse of the normie center-right. They, they take out enormously expensive policies against being called racist or anti-Semitic because they just know that that's the kind of bullying and abuse that is going to be meted out to them. And they will often deceive themselves, twist themselves in knots, even to deflect these sorts of charges and it's just a sign of of how hegemonic jewish power is how stifling and insufferable it is and ultimately i don't think we're going to have our own countries back until we can budge that hegemony however if we leave that in place there are still better and worse policies There are still better and worse candidates and some of these i don't think mille is going to help Argentina because none of the policies that he recommends would help the country, to be perfectly honest. Maybe cutting bureaucracy or something, but I don't even think he's going to be allowed to do that. Certainly open borders libertarianism is what they need. Maybe going on the dollar would be less inflationary than staying on the peso. There are a few things, but uh, libertarianism isn't enough. It doesn't cut it. But here at Wilders, he definitely wants to slow down the great replacement, and that's not a bad thing. So Austin, do you have any thoughts to add on this particular issue? Dr. Johnson, I cannot
10: possibly claim to be qualified to, uh, to fully assess either of these situations, but my inclination is we'll know when one of our guys has power, obviously, you know, neither this guy nor those parties are representative of our beliefs. Um, I think they may be slightly positive, but I was on that call as well with our Dutch friends and if they can't, you know, make up their minds uh, that it's that it's positive, then, you know, I, I'm not I'm not convinced that it really uh, is clear either way. Uh, yeah. Either way, I think we just need to keep our noses to the grindstone. There are there's are certain things that very obviously are within our sphere that are good, like the pushback in Ireland that we were just discussing. I think those are the things that are are really going to be important for us.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, we are at another hour. Let me just do a little housekeeping here because I'm getting messages that, again, more people are clamoring to get on. Gadius, uh, can we say goodbye uh, to you at this point? Do you have any final thoughts for the for the stream? Yeah, I just want to do a little bit shilling for uh, Thank you. things I've seen. Everybody
5: needs to create an X account to get on there, to juice, to join Juice Gang or to help Juice Gang out help uh, ratio, help signal boost. That's the most important thing. What Keith's been doing on X is nothing less than extraordinary over the past at least three months, pretty much the entire year, though, ever since he got his account back and even before then. So everybody should do that. It's a lot more relaxed over there. Don't be discouraged because you don't have, you know, your old account back. I know there's people that are salty about that and act like, oh, nothing's ever gonna change. No, that's bullshit because we we're seeing things change. the 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 number one thing that from Keith Keith's experience on Twitter is him getting replied to by Donald Trump Jr. It might not seem like that big of a deal, but it's like. Donald Trump Jr. didn't have to do that. He didn't have to, like, get mad and try to, you know, own Keith on X. And that's, like, that's the power of that platform right now. When the when the playing field's even, you know, even if it's, like, a little bit more even than it is, uh, we're going to win because our ideas are true and, you know, uh, truth matters. So everyone should do that. And also everyone should uh, <clears throat> also uh support countercurrents obviously it's a uh, thanksgiving and this is a thanksgiving telethon for countercurrents countercurrents is like the uh it, it's like a it's like a gold mine it's like a treasure trove for old stuff like uh bin laden the bin laden meme was going around tiktok there last week i, I sent in a super chat about this i think and uh i just i just typed in bin laden on countercurrents and uh a couple articles came up and it was just like it's like a treasure trove you know like like i said like it's these old articles that you can find like in the archives and there's new stuff going up every day and it's all good top quality stuff and it's what uh, the late great jonathan bowden called the what, what did he call it? it's like a it's like the online you know, university of the far right yeah it's what, like a, it's like that? a you know radical right university so everybody support countercurrents uh And everybody create a Twitter account and everybody check out everyone else's stuff on Substack like Pox and, uh, you know, Endeavor and uh, tune into Tala's stuff, too, because he's hilarious, man. He's like the number one comedian in the radical right. And he's also I've heard that he is also the most racist YouTuber in Britain. So there's that also. But uh, I'll go ahead and take my leave and uh, everybody have a great rest of the stream and take it easy, folks. Thank, thank you everyone. so much
0: thanks let's bring in my co-host for the last <laughs> hour cyan welcome
12: hello happy thanksgiving everybody
0: hello cyan. Thanksgiving, Cyan. hi yeah Good. how are you doing yes and let me bring in carl thorburn carl welcome hey thanks for having me yeah well it's uh it's it's great to have you on so Carl, do you have any thoughts? You're our Bitcoin guy. You pay attention to economics, stuff like that. Do you have any thoughts on Millay uh, and and uh, and also here at Builders? Um, uh,
13: because I'm not a speaker of those languages and I don't live there, I don't know the, too many details, but my impression is that I just do not like Malay at all um, mm-hmm. because he's... Uh, he is wants to dollarize argentina which you know i mean that's an upgrade for sure because argentina's central bank was you know really incompetent when it came to the currency it, it had they had um, interest rates over 100% at one point um and so you know the inflation there is out of control but when you switch a nation to to dollars you know like several South, South American countries are already dollarized. Um, you're basically giving up national sovereignty of your currency to the United States, which is, uh, it's dangerous and bad in my view, just simply because you should never want to give up sovereignty. Uh, you should just want to improve the existing structure or do what um, Naya Bukele did in El Salvador, which is he, he made Bitcoin a legal tender. So if the people there choose not to use the local currency, they have the option to save and spend Bitcoin. Um, so we'll see. My my impression is that it, it's Malay switching to the dollars is, is not good. It, it indicates he's a, a toady for America. Um, but hopefully, fingers crossed, he'll make Bitcoin a, a legal tender in the same way that El Salvador did.
0: Yeah. So, what do you what are your thoughts about Builders? You've seen him in his kippa. You've seen him pressing the wailing wall. You've seen his Hungarian Jewish wife. Let's take that all as red. Do you still think there's anything positive in in this election for the? Um,
13: I see him as kind of similar to Trump, and I think that that's a good thing. I mean, I on on net, it's good because even if he doesn't do anything or accomplish anything, it will at least kind of be a, a learning it'll be a lesson for, for the for the nationalists there in, in the Netherlands, and they'll they'll know, okay, this is what we should avoid next time, you know, which is a Zionist. but you know in, in if it if he does do something good then that's
0: that's fine that, you know that's progress, I guess, yeah, yeah cyan any thoughts on these elections?
12: oh right well um i think it's good news in general now whether or not they actually accomplish anything like closing the borders um you know that has yet to be seen but i think that one of the things i'm really thankful for in general over the last year is this trend towards populism towards nationalism towards uh, opposing immigration uh towards talking more about identity politics so the person, uh, you, you know, who's leading it up, you know, who knows? Uh, I think that we should do as much as we possibly can to hold their feet to the fire. Um, we've had some disappointments, for example, like Maloney, uh, when she, she ran on the platform of stopping immigration on uh, protecting Italian identity. Uh, After she was elected, the boat arrivals increased by 150%. So, uh, you know, know, that's one example of something that didn't work out, but the point still stands that uh, people are getting elected on that platform. Um, In America, uh, Donald Trump, again, is running on, you know, he's saying things like, if elected, I'll start the biggest mass deportation event in U.S. history. So people are recognizing that this is what you need to say to get elected because this is what the electorate cares about: is identity politics. Now, hopefully, they'll follow through on that. But um, you know, if they don't, I still see it as a positive development because we're moving the Overton window in the right direction. Uh, and I have to, you know, give big. Uh, credit out to the other people who are on the stream with us today. Uh, Pox, Keith, Ayatollah, um, you guys are doing, uh, you know, you're affecting the public conversation out there and giving, you know, changing minds, uh, which puts pressure on these people. So, you know, fingers crossed. We'll see what happens.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, I want to go back to the theme of The stream which is things we're thankful for in 2023. Keith you're still with us thank you for being a good sport and staying around you know if you if you have to go of course just just let us know but uh, are there certain things that you are particularly thankful for this year?
3: Uh, I guess I should have thought about this before coming on but um I mean Personally, I'm I'm thankful for Elon Musk because he gave me my account back, and uh, he he's boosted me a lot. But I think we'd we'd kind of be uh be treading the, the same ground we 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 said at the start if if we got back to that. But um, you know, I I like the the sentiment that's been on the show tonight about you know using the optimism and, and directing it into more activism because I think like if you look demographically, like the trends are really bad for us. But I think if you look narratively everything is, is trending in our favor. Like all of the, even like the, the people that we always saw as like total gatekeepers, these people like, you know, Dinesh D'Souza and like the people that used to be associated with the alt-light, if you look at their content now, I mean, they're they're basically like where the alt-right was in 2016, 17. Like um, I even saw Dinesh D'Souza was basically all day tweeting about the the Great Replacement a couple of days ago as it related to Ireland. Um, wow. Did Paul he blame Voss- the Democrats for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, and himself. I, I just thought, Paul, like Paul <laughs> Joseph Watson does videos now where he's talking about the USS Liberty. It's like this stuff is just like mm-hmm. daily. Um mm. and we, we're almost taking it for granted at this point, which is great. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm you know, I'm really I'm thankful for how much that conversation has moved. But it's like I said, it's I think it's you know the the countless anons that have been driving that that they're, they're constantly in the replies they're keeping the pressure on these people um and it's like everyone is moving one degree to the right you know whether it's it's Candace Owens calling out Ben Shapiro um or like Paul Joseph Watson uh he was he made a video where he called out Bill Maher and he, he pointed out this guy is Jewish and he celebrates the demographic replacement of white people in London at the same time as he is a Nationalists for Jews in in Israel, so it's like everyone is moving a degree to the right. Um, our talking points have become super normalized. I mean, it's it's easy to kind of miss the progress that's being made when you're in the midst of it. But if you just look back like four or five years, it really is incredible. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really thankful for how much the the conversation is progressing. Thanks to you know the the work of people that that do this without pay. Um, and that you know, keep the ship going. The people that donate counter-currents, uh, collectively, we are making a difference.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's very well said. Pox, what, what are you thankful for in 2023?
6: Well, um, I'll follow Keith's line. I am thankful about some things that have been happening on X, um, and also just a bit of a breaking news, um. About an hour ago, a little under an hour ago, uh, Elon responded to an Irish ex-user who goes by the name Mike Um that is, that is his name, and um, he's hinting at, uh, or he's drawing attention to, um, the Irish government's censorship of Twitter, and sort of hinting at doing exposure of um, Irish Twitter file, basically. So that's another interesting development that just uh, sort of happened um, now. Uh, so I think, yeah, that's a good thing. Um, I'm thankful to see us pushing in the same direction. Um, and never mentioned it earlier before he uh, logged off that um, particularly in the event of COVID and all of the uh, policies and scandals that came after, a lot of us um, were kind of all over the place. And uh, I even had my disagreements with uh, Mr. Woods, um, but now... We're pushing in the same direction. It's great. Um, you know, I'm posting stuff that Keith has uh, put up on social media and helping him ratio all of the uh shit libs and journals and politicians, and he's sharing my stuff. And uh, you know, it's it's I think this is great because and this is something Keith said uh not too long not too long ago on his telegram, that no movement punches above its weight like our movement does. Absolutely. And when we all push in the same direction, you know, we do accomplish phenomenal things. So I'm thankful for that. Um, Like uh, Endeavor said, also, it's a shame that it has to come in the aftermath of really devastating events. But something I said the other day was that we've already grieved so much. Um, We've already expressed our grief for so many victims of this blood-stained ideology of um, great replacement, mass immigration, um, forced diversity, forced proximity. Um, so now we're angry, and our anger is righteous. And um, it's great to see. And I'm thankful for CounterCurrents, because this year um, I have been doing a lot of work for CounterCurrents, and um, I'm thankful that CounterCurrents has Taken a liking to my uh, efforts and um, a lot of my articles, uh, you can read them on CounterCurrents now. And occasionally, I host this very program, CounterCurrents Radio, and people seem to enjoy it when I do. So, I'm very thankful for that opportunity.
3: I think of the time we were all banished to Telegram, arguing with each other every day. It's uh it's been like in the third Batman series, you know, the Dark Knight Rises, where he like goes down into the pit and he has to discover uh, you know, <laughs> himself, and eventually he climbs out. You know, that was that yeah. was the Twitter amnesty. We we climb out of the pit after uh, years of of uh, arguing and and refining our our argument skills, and then you know, racist, iron the, the... racist iron sharpens racist iron.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a great metaphor. Actually, I really I really enjoy that, uh, James. Uh, you haven't had much chance to speak. It's so much going on. But what are you thankful for this year? Um, well,
9: one of the things I'm thankful for is are is uh, alliances like this one. I mean, I'm looking here at the people who have uh, you know toggled in and out, who are still here, uh, and I mean just the quality people with their particular niches and uh, uh, all ultimately fighting for the same thing. And this really means a lot to to me. I I hate to see petty, uh, I understand, you know, reasonable um, significant differences that we have to address from time to time. But so often the ones I see are just petty nitpicking nonsensical edgelord stuff, things that have no place among serious people who ostensibly want what's better for white people. And, uh, in addition to that, I've, uh, I'm very thankful for, uh, my living arrangement for since April of last or or of this year, I have, uh, basically lived somewhere in Eastern Europe. That is the, uh, the exact, the photo negative opposite of uh Negro fatigue. And it's really nice because I mean, literally when you live somewhere for seven months and you can count the number of black people, for example, that you've seen on the street on one hand and not use all the fingers, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I know that feeling uh, suddenly being, you know, traveling and Going to, I remember I was in uh, Warsaw the first time in 2018, and what it's a huge European city that was just overwhelmingly white. Uh, I had the same experience when I was in Kiev that very same year. It had this you know big city feel to it, and it was an entirely white experience. It was uh, it was really quite remarkable. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad you're enjoying mm-hmm. that yeah for sure friedrich oh, that yo go oh, ahead
12: so, <laughs> yeah. so no i just your comment uh james reminded me of the uh earlier it reminded me of something else that i was thankful for that i know austin is thankful for too uh earlier this year which was the experience to go to europe and experience the same thing because uh you me and Austin in particular coming from the United States, you know, going over to Europe and seeing all of these uh, smaller countries, majority white countries, countries with a long history and appreciation for their culture, at least now, <laughs> um, yes. you know, was was so gratifying and life-changing.
9: Yes, absolutely. And seeing blackface on 2023 TV is also quite a treat.
0: <laughs> that's amazing yeah <laughs> uh so friedrich uh what what are you thankful for in 2023
11: yeah so uh <clears throat> you know as science uh, just mentioned i am most grateful for 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 uh being able to uh go to the countercurrent retreat in uh europe earlier this year and uh meeting uh, uh you know a lot of wonderful guys you know i'm yeah it was,
0: it was a true it was a great time it was great great meeting you great hanging out and
11: uh yeah yeah and uh yeah it was fantastic right i mean i i i don't have words to describe it and uh you yeah, know of course i i cannot say i mean ing- i am grateful because I honestly don't realize the, the, you know, the enormity of it all, right? I mean, the campaign that uh, Keith unleashed, and the fact that uh, Elon Musk responded to Keith, right? You know, with Ben and all these things. I mean, it's for me, it's incredible because uh, whatever Elon Musk wrote, you know, verges on uh, him not being able to walk back, right? I mean. actually at this point i don't think he can talk his way uh, out of it or at least i don't see how right and uh, yeah you know since we are uh, you know since this is a fundraiser right i have a few words for uh you know the readers who are you know are trying to find their bearings and uh, are not very convinced whether they should donate or not, right? I mean, uh, I was thinking about the big picture, right? We are all big picture guys. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the war that uh, the establishment waged against us, right, for the last few decades, or maybe even more, uh, was largely successful because uh, it used ideas, right? I mean, ideas that, uh, you know, as you said so many times, perverted a lot of our virtues and good nature and uh, turned them against us. And probably most toxic uh, of all of those ideas was the fact that uh, they made us believe that, uh, and I've seen this so many times since I was growing up, uh, that taking your own uh, side in a fight is uh, sinful. And, you know, I, I really cannot think how that happened, right? And, uh, you know, counter-currents, uh, you know, if nothing else, right, is uh, uh, at the forefront of this fight, right? It's a fight of ideas so far, and uh, we shouldn't be that uh, despondent about it, because, uh, you know, we should be grateful that we are no longer in trenches, like in World War One and in World War Two, when so many of our probably best people perished. And, uh, you know, I will bring up... Uh, you know some mainstream figure that uh lately seems to uh well in the last few days seems to have started to wake up uh conor mcgregor so he said that this is a war right and uh you know where we need to be serious and uh maybe you know more of us should start donating or yeah these were well, my thoughts you. Yeah,
0: thank you. And you were one of the people who helped us with this matching grant, and I'm I'm very grateful to that. Uh, let me let me ask Austin, Austin, things that you're thankful for in 2023.
10: Yeah, I'm going to have to say the uh, the, the uh Countercurrents insiders Telegram group chat. <laughs> it is a uh, a special privilege to be able to talk with uh, so many educated, fine folks. I don't think I have ever been. Uh, in a room that uh, where I was so humbled so quickly uh, intellectually, it's been a great experience. I know you referred earlier to countercurrents <clears throat> as a, a kind of uh, you know educational institution, and I can personally attest to that. I cannot even tell you how much I've learned by being able to to talk about just a thousand different topics, not only stuff that concerns our race, but just general intellectual topics with the guys in the chat. Um, so that's been a huge one that I'm thankful for.
0: I, I'm, I'm glad. To, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Gaddy cracked me up uh, with one of his comments. Uh, 300 unread messages. Uh, religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the religion question has been coming up again. So uh, I love that. Uh, Ayatollah, or what are you thankful for in this 2023?
7: Well, people have already said the fact that you can actually say things a bit on Twitter now. So I'm going to have to sort of be, try and work with what I've got and go back further and say, and actually it leads to what I think is, you know, worthy an answer as any, I would hope, which is I'm grateful for the initiative and the independent reasoning faculties and the agency and the autism of a certain contingent of white men. Um, I've got the autism, I ain't got the rest of it, but I can include myself on that one at least. Because that gave us, the alt right such as it was and more broadly the incursions on discourse and narrative of 2015 and 2016 and, that, and that's why a lot of us probably here even among the guests and certainly i think among the audience as well are actually here um and it's also really the impetus you know rhetorically and in terms of the the, the points of historical interest and the lines of argument and everything else that have been so influential um, I mean, particularly since Twitter's kind of been opened up a little bit, but especially since October the 7th. A lot of what uh, th- we've seen since October the 7th has manifested itself in the things we were talking about last week, which is still important when you've got, you know, the biggest political pundit in America and formerly a very, you know, re- very reliable fill semis, like particularly Charlie Kirk, to a lesser degree Candace Owens. I mean, she does work for Ben Shapiro. And the richest man in the world, basically, as, as, as has been said but by other people, I mean, Keith included, saying the same things we say which is like well jews want european countries to be diverse they don't want that for israel and oh the same people that now want solidarity for israel are behind the anti-white agenda and you know those are basic that's white nationalism one point you know sort of like 101 Rather, that's white nationalism One one o one. that's the biggest and most controversial thing that separates us from the controlled discourse and through a lot of hard work and just through persistence and good rhetoric we've really you know we've had an influence on these things and again a lot of this goes back to before a period in which a lot of people were just taken off the internet and deplatformed and even thrown in jail which of course continues and really nowhere more so than where i am but um i'm grateful for that because like i i I mean i raised this when when i when i was contacted by dominic kennedy at the times one of the things i raised is Most of us don't really have the courage or the initiative to actually get here on our own. We're influenced by other people, and I was certainly one of those. Um, So I'm grateful for those, really, that that went before me. And that's, look, CounterCurrence has been around, was seven years old before I kind of got anywhere near any of this. But even down to, yeah, 4chan and on, who just noticed things and had good lines of argument and and so and so so on and so
0: forth. So that's what I'm grateful for, yeah. Yeah, that's really well said, uh, Carl. What are your thoughts?
13: Uh, yeah, I'm I'm thankful for the the movement and just the friends I've made in the movement. I feel like even if politics weren't a thing and we weren't, you know, we didn't, we lived in a universe where we didn't have to concern ourselves with um, the, you know, the problem of of uh, you know our race being under attack. Um, I I still feel like the people that I've met in this movement would would just be amazing, awesome friends. Um, and I'm so fortunate that I've met some wonderful people in, in here. And um, also I'm thankful for, well, since the start of the year, um, Bitcoin is up over a hundred percent. So it's always pleasant when, you know, it's like, I, I know it's going to crash and I know it's going to come back up, but it's always pleasant when it does come back up because it, it sort of shuts people up. It's, it stops people from, um, from hating online and from bashing uh, bitcoin that's kind of entertaining and you know i know that a lot of people in our movement their um, own f- financial fortune is, is um, tied closely to bitcoin as well besides me and so it's it's nice to know that everybody is able to do a little bit better with that um but yeah those are the the two that i was thinking of
12: yeah that's, that's really awesome. Carl, we had a question from sunshine kid he wants to know when he can retire
13: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if you have one, one whole Bitcoin, you could probably retire before, I would, I, would, I would guess, before 2030. I think you could do it.
0: Well, that's great. Uh, that's, that's very exciting news. Uh, I have a bunch more little questions here, so let me just zip through these and thank everybody. 50 US dollars from North Country Friend. Any theories as to why the Levantine tribe dominating the West seems to be getting ever more frantic and ethnocentric as they age? Do they fear that webs of collusion and lies from prior decades will get exposed? Do they feel compelled to close ranks as a group strategy? I Have noticed this even with centrists. Well, you know, they they don't have breaks. That's one trait that they have. There's a great deal of psychological intensity a great deal of aggression, a great deal of id, uh, not as much in the way of the higher cognitive functions that can say no, that can tap on the brakes. And this this is why they fail because you can't operate a vehicle without brakes. This is an analogy that was taught to me by Sam Dixon. Sam, if you're out there, you should click that link and join us. We were hoping to have you on board. As for the thing about them aging. This is actually a very interesting phenomenon that I've noticed. I've noticed and know I've, I've known a number of based Jews over the, over in my lifetime. And I haven't known them extremely well, some of them, but I've, I've been acquainted with some of them. And one that I was an acquaintance with, uh, for a number of years with, was Adam Parfrey. And Adam Parfrey, uh, he's a pioneer of dissident publishing with Farrell House and before that with Amuck. did a lot of really good work. In the 90s, especially, uh, I I really looked to Farrell House and I thought very highly of him. Well, I first met him in the 2000s and sort of followed him. I see him on and off in Seattle. He lived in the Seattle area. He was very, he was good friends with my friend, Charlie Kraft. Whenever he would be in town in, in Seattle, he'd, he'd stay on Charlie's couch, you know, that kind of stuff. And over the years, I saw him change. And I saw him changing, especially when Trump came on the scene. And he, w- with each passing day, he just became more and more shrill. He first became kind of a neocon. Oh, that was fine. He was putting out stuff on extreme Islam. It was like, okay, this is good. I understand understand your interest in this. But then he became this ranting anti-Trump person. And it was fascinating. And this friend of mine who knew Adam for years coined a brilliant phrase. Uh, he, he said, as Adam gets old, has gotten older, it's like his ziological clock has gone off. Uh, it, it's been ticking away and the ziological clock has been activated. And suddenly he's sounding like he's sounding like his Jewish communist mother who had a lot to answer for as far as Adam was concerned for many years of his life. But now he sounds like her as he ages. And I thought that was interesting. I thought it was very witty. And since then, I've seen that pattern reasserting itself. So. For your 50 U.S. dollars, which is a very generous thing, I have put out the ziological clock meme. And now whenever you see it, you have a word for it. Aaron Rice said, with 30 U.S. dollars, thoughts on Tucker Carlson's most recent takes on the 2024 election year and the hypothetical possibility of the assassination of Trump. I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to. Folks, is there anybody in the, in the, in the chat who can uh, help out on this? Uh, Has Tucker been talking about Trump being assassinated?
6: I have Um, no idea. I haven't, I haven't seen anything about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I will say something about Tucker. Uh, When Tucker said gradually, I began to hate them uh, recently when he was talking about the big Jewish donors, promoting anti-white hate at the at, at, in the university, suddenly pulling the money out when uh, anti-Semitism became an issue. I thought that was pretty amazing. Again, that's, that's 101 stuff, but he's saying it. And he's a very important figure. Uh, and there was a question years and years ago when the Passion of the Christ came out, there was a commentator who uh, went by the name Nathan Bedford Forrest who said... Uh, When Mel Gibson cucked in the end and uh, he removed the his blood will be on us and and our children line from the passion of the Christ. His question was, how much money do you need? How many millions do you need before you can give the Jews the finger? And I I, always remember that line and it's a great question. And the thing is, is that you think that when people have billions of dollars, not hundreds of millions, like, uh, like uh, Mel Gibson, but billions of dollars, you can afford to give them the finger. Well, the thing is, is that the more you've got, the more you've got to lose and it can actually box you in. It takes a whole lot of money before you feel like you can give them the finger, but there's something that really helps. And that's courage. Courage is contagious. And a lot of people in the establishment are looking at one another and they are seeing people taking risks. They're seeing Elon Musk taking risks. They're seeing other people taking risks. And that is contagious. And this is why these normie people, uh, relatively normie people like Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk and others, have been uh, making these uh, extremely useful statements. There's courage at foot. It's not just money. It, you really need courage. But but that's true with everything. Uh, the Greeks believed that courage was one of the most important virtues. Why? Because if you don't have courage, then none of your other virtues ultimately matter in the end. Because you might be honest or want to be honest, but what if you're afraid to be honest? Right? None of your virtues matter if you don't have the courage to stick by them under pressure. So let's see here. Scott writes in, with 10 US dollars. When whites are introducing themselves to each other, one of the first things they do is announce what class they belong to. Where'd you go to college, et cetera. This forces people like Conor McGregor to disavow hooliganism because they think the middle and upper classes keep gatekeep social change. Um, that's an interesting point. Uh, any thoughts on that? Keith, do you think that this is one of the things that's going on that Conor McGregor is disavowing hooliganism because of the middle and upper classes are the gatekeepers of
3: social change. Well, no, look, I mean, if, if he had done that alone, it might be one thing. You know, if, if he just kind of disavowed the the rioting and said, I'm going to get back to my business ventures now. But in that tweet, he said that he wants to channel this energy into political change. And he said that this isn't going to stop until there's a real lasting change. And he said he's he's working on a plan for that. So, I really don't see it as any kind of back down. i think he he made more incendiary comments at first to get attention and roll people up, and then he pointed people towards where it needs to go next, which is we need real political change
0: yeah so yeah we're not going to burn buses and you know we we're, we're not going to get the change we need by burning more city buses. There's got to be a next step, and he's pointing in that direction
3: yeah i've I've been really impressed with him i mean he's clearly thought a lot about this um the first time he commented on stuff like this was during the East Wall protest last year. Um, and again, we were all banned off Twitter at the time. But I, I got people to uh, spam like the video I'd done on it and his replies, and we, we spammed other stuff for him. And you can tell from his tweets like he's thought a lot about this, and I've actually been really impressed with him. Like his, his statements have been very eloquent. He is a good way with words. Um, like you know, he captures that that passion and that righteous indignation that people feel. But, you know, he's very educated on the topic. Um, he understands who's to blame. And I think it's great that he's saying that this needs to be channeled in, in a political direction now. And he's clearly given thought to that. So I think it's an exciting development. He's he's not going to do a Kanye West, I don't believe. I don't think he's going to flame out after a month and um, uh, disappear off to Italy and give up on politics or something. I think he's he's thinking seriously about this. I,
0: I love that thought. I, I love the thought of him actually leading a political movement and tweeting things like torture and death. Uh, but uh, he's, a, he, he's such a larger than life character. Uh, he's definitely enormously charismatic. And well, he's got a warrior brain and warrior brains are the kinds of people that you, you got to be afraid of because sometimes sometimes they don't do what's in their rational self-interest and... So really quickly with McGregor. Yeah, Sorry, i Sorry, say really quickly. Um I, I, this kind of came up on my
7: stream last night, my end of month stream with friends simulated with one of my guests, one of my sort of collaborators is Irish. Um there's been a bit of discussion in the telegram group I was in early that day as to whether or because somebody had predicted that the, the state would arrest Conor McGregor. And I thought, I don't know whether they would because he's too big. They'd be making a massive martyr of him because what would, what would they be doing? They'd be taking the guy that's 60 to 80% of Irish people. And that may be a concern. The, the lower end of that is a conservative estimate and probably an underestimate. And looking at and thinking, yeah, he's saying exactly how we feel. And he's probably Ireland's great. I mean, Katie Taylor's fighting tonight in Dublin, funny enough. I mean, but Conor McGregor, even above her, is probably Ireland's co- greatest contemporary hero. Um, and they would be making a martyr of him, and somebody, people would take some of his more kind of, and there have been many of them. In fairness, quotable statements, and then they would then become slogans of defiance. Because it's one thing to make an example of some person that nobody, the average person doesn't know, who kind of led a protest in East Wall and throw, you know, throw them in jail under, you know, whatever's on the books that they can do that with in Ireland at present, because they're trying to drive through these, you know, basically speech suppression laws that are very similar to the ones we've got in Britain, which have been wielded so perniciously. Um, there are ones that there are ones on the books now and they could get him on like incitement and whatever else. But I think they'd be very foolish to do that because they'd be making a martyr of Ireland's probably, yeah, greatest contemporary hero. And I don't think they'll, I don't think I can't see them doing that because it would, uh, it'd, be, it'd be the impetus for too much mass disobedience. I think um, they'd make themselves look like a big sort of mean shower of bastards too much in the same way that certain, a certain group of people have been doing when they not they didn't get the degree of sympathy they felt they were entitled to since the beginning of october um that's mm-hmm. what i think of it anyway but yeah the the warrior brains and things interesting because this is actually quite a prevalent thing within the usc i mean dana white is kind of like high priest of the dude bros in a way you know joe rogan a little bit although there's obviously a big element of him being controlled opposition um it's almost like lex friedman who we discussed earlier is like a slightly more sanitized joe rogan who'll go off the reservation a bit because he's literally got blood in it you know um sean strickland who punched israel adesani's head off a couple of months ago he's been very he said quite edgy things in the past you've got people like covington who was a trump supporter donald trump himself is a massive fan he's always at the usc events they have to deal with quite a bit of this because it's kind of, it's an individual yeah. sport. You can't tame people so much like the way you can in team sports because of all the sponsors, because them being controversial and outspoken is part of, it's part of what you get. You get You see it in boxing a bit. Tyson Fury got mentioned earlier on, but particularly in MMA, I think for whatever reason.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think there are any shit libs to put it bluntly in mixed martial arts uh it just it doesn't seem like the scene for people like that uh and uh you know if you could combine the the sort of warrior brain with being intelligent and articulate that's a pretty formidable force and i'm i'm looking at conor mcgregor and i'm thinking yeah he's i mean he sort of zigzags around some of the stuff's like what (laughs) i don't quite understand this but uh he's he's clearly thoughtful uh and uh it's, uh, it's pretty inspiring. Uh, I think he's got a, a brilliant political career ahead of him and that Ireland, Ireland might be honoring him and they might be singing songs about him hundreds of years from now. Um, I got a couple more questions here. Bear with me. I just want to thank everybody. Nobody goes unthanked. A tomahawk sends 14 U.S. dollars. If I miss Jim Goh's appearance here, I'm sorry. I just wanted to call him out. On the occasion of total victory, we're going to have a public fight over who's going to be the Supreme Leader of Portland, Oregon. Okay. I will pass that along. ABC writes 10 U.S. dollars. Recently, open AI researchers reported AGI, superintelligence breakthrough. And this was linked to Sam, the Sam Altman fiasco firing and rehiring a few days later because he advised caution experts say AGI superintelligence singularity will occur within a decade. How will this affect white nationalism? Well, my, my brief statement on this, and I could go on at great length, is that um, I think uh, genuine artificial intelligence is a very dangerous thing. And I think that It's analogous to chickens working feverishly to create a new being that will be more powerful than them called man. And thinking that once the chickens create man, that man will benevolently take care of the chickens. And that's obviously a folly if we create a super intelligence, it will be related to us as we are related to, not chickens, but gnats. There'll be such a difference between it and us. Uh, the idea that we can create something like that and let it out of the box, let it out of its bottle, and it's going to be benevolent is extremely, well, I'll just, it's, it's, it's insane. It's not just naive, it's insane. I do not think that creating what is in effect an evolutionary successor species is a very good idea, and I, I don't care all the, the economic benefits that people are imputing to it. It's like the genie in the bottle: let me out, and I'll make you immortal. Uh, well, once it's out of the bottle, it doesn't need us anymore. So, anyway, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big skeptic about artificial intelligence. I'm all for art, good art generators and stuff like that, but that's not actual artificial general intelligence. That's just better computing. I'm all for better computing. I am totally opposed to creating something that's in effect a successor species. It'll come after us and we will we will no longer be us—that's my fear. Uh, Mirth respecter sends twenty U.S. dollars. Online discourse is increasingly astroturfed by large language models that are implicitly anti-white. Uh, therefore, I've included you, Greg, in my pantheon for training LLMs—large language models. I don't even know what LLMs are. I am going to have to Google this. <laughs> it's a, know,
13: it's, an LLM is is what Chat Chat GPT is. It produces
0: text, basically. Okay. Um, but yeah, Okay, he says, gathering your writings manually is a tough task. Could you offer a paywall feature to access your writings in plain text to make training LLMs easier? Uh, yeah. Okay. As long as this doesn't lead to, uh, the artificial intelligence sounding like me, uh, anyway, no, seriously, uh, we can do that. Just email me at editor at counter and we can make that happen. And I think we are hearing, ah, Sam Dixon. Sam, welcome to the show. I can just oh, see the top of your head.
14: <laughs> oh, hello, hello. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I looked at your second email, and I was trying to sign in through the second email, and there was no link.
0: Oh, okay, okay. You
14: know, my apologies. You know how the elderly are.
0: Yes. Well, I, I wanted to have you on, and this is great. We've got 10 more minutes, and you said something when we talked the last time, and you you're a realist you can be some something of a black pillar let's to be let's be honest uh, uh but you were saying something about how things had changed so much for the positive in like over the last 40 or 50 years that you've been involved in in watching our stuff and i thought we. I wish I was recording this. I wish I could record this or bottle it or something, uh, and put it out there. And so I thought, well, you know, Sam, why don't you share some of this with us on the, in the stream? Do you do you remember that
6: conversation?
14: Well, I do. I say it all the time, and so does James Edwards and other people. But I, I personally lived it. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been involved in this, this this kind of activity, this sort of racial idealism, since 1963, and I, I remember how terribly buttoned down everything was in America. Young young people, by that I mean anybody under 50 or 60, maybe, can't imagine how buttoned down things were. There were only three television networks, they all said the exact same thing. Uh, There were two press services, and they all said exactly the same thing. Uh, All the the newspapers all said exactly the same thing. Uh, And uh, there was just no way to get the information out except by handing out leaflets on the sidewalk, which we did in, in college, uh, or by uh, subscribing to these sort of semi-underground newsletters. And uh, I, I know people think, oh yeah, yeah, the, the internet's been a big breakthrough, uh, but they can't imagine what a great breakthrough it has been, even in an era of censorship and de-platforming. Uh, you can have You can invite people to a meeting now at a click on your keyboard and send out an, uh, an invitation to a meeting to hundreds of people on email. But when, when I was president of the Atlanta Evening Optimist Club, uh, we had to put together every week a mailing. We had to address envelopes to hundred people and print up a, uh, an insert and fold them and put them in. That's how it used to be. But it, the, the, and, and the control was so total uh, if, if we if we if we've been living in the kind of world that existed in the 1960s 70s 80s, uh, Hunter, the Hunter Biden laptop would would never have surfaced. Uh, there was a similar thing with the Ruther memorandum back when the Kennedy when Kennedy was president, when Walter Ruther, who had been a communist, who had actually gone to the Soviet Union, uh, and worked as a volunteer for Stalin, and used to write back to the Union newspaper, carry on the fight for a Soviet America. He was a big figure in labor. You you couldn't, the labor movement, you couldn't tell people, uh, except by word of mouth, the fact that he had this horrific background. Uh, And he had a meeting with Bobby Kennedy, who was attorney general, and John Kennedy, who was president. And the three of them discussed how to weaponize the the FBI, the IRS, uh, and so forth, so as to shut down what few voices of opposition there were, just minuscule. Well, this was reduced to a memorandum, and someone leaked the memorandum, uh, but you couldn't publicize it by the email, like like the Hunter Biden laptop has been publicized. Uh, And so hardly anyone ever heard of this shocking memorandum of the president and the attorney general consulting with this volunteer for Stalin uh, on how to deny First Amendment rights uh, to, to genuine distance in America. Now this can get out. Uh, and uh, and I think that's a great breakthrough. When I, when I was a kid in high school, I think I was the only kid in in high school that understood the Jewish question. And I had sense enough not to talk, talk about it because I wanted to get on with my peers. But you know now I think that now the percentage of people that understand the role that the Jewish community is playing in our dispossession is probably you know it's at least uh, you know about it's, it's no longer single digits in percentage points. This is a tremendous breakthrough, huge breakthrough. So that's it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I've known you since, was it 2000? It was, was it? Labor Day of 2000. Uh, we met at a Greek diner in Buckhead uh, at a David Irving event. And, it was a small gathering of people, and most of the people there were older than me. Now more than twenty years have gone by, uh, so of course there are people who are younger than me in this because of time and all that. But there's, you know, we I've, I routinely go to meetings now, where the first of all the meeting the number of people is larger and the average age is a lot less, and the average level of background knowledge that people bring to the table. Is pretty high, so I'm I'm very impressed with that. I do think we've had just a general increase in the quantity and quality of people over the years. Uh, there was a huge influx of young people with the whole alt right thing. It was a it was more more than we could handle in a way, which is sort of a good problem. But it was also, it was sort of like, like there are massive problems with managing personnel and, and uh, how, how to put it, um, mentoring people. And a lot of people burned out and disappeared, did dumb things and so forth. But I, th- I do think we've learned from that and we're building the kind of infrastructure and, and the, just kind of the muscle memory and how to, how to deal with younger people and bring them in and actually send them in the right direction. So that's, uh, that's very encouraging too. I just think, yeah, just, just in the time that I've known you and really coming to that meeting was the first time that I dipped my toe into the movement movement so to speak.
14: How did you find out about it?
0: That's, a, oh, I, well, here's the thing. I was teaching these adult ed classes and I was just about to wrap up teaching those classes. In fact, you attended like one of the very last sessions. I think it was in the fall of 20, 2000. It was interesting because there were a number of people, they just sort of, I don't know how it happened, but I'm, I'm trying to think there's well, see, There's our friend... you,
14: had to, you had to hear about something like this by word of mouth. You know, or... Oh, yeah.
0: Well, well. here's the thing. Okay. Aside from our friend Josh, who is who is coming to these classes, just by pure coincidence, there are a number of people who are attending those classes that were already plugged into the movement, but they were I, I didn't know it. Uh, at the time they were far ahead uh, far further ahead than me there was one guy that i brought to a meeting named frank who was a retired guy from up north there was vera who was a longtime american renaissance subscriber <laughs> uh there was uh, and there were two other people one guy was a um a bureaucrat uh, no both of them were bureaucrats they were bureaucrats state bureaucrats or federal bureaucrats and they were both into the revisionist stuff and I was sitting there listening to them chatting before class about David Irving and my ears pricked up and because I, you know, and they were talking about it. And this was the first I had heard of him. I think maybe he had been mentioned once before, but the Lipstadt trial was going on and they were talking about this and I went home and I found Irving's website and it was from his website that I found out that he was coming to Atlanta. And so that's how I found out about it. So it was really funny. You create an atmosphere where you can engage in liberal learning outside of academia. And I created a, you know, I, I created an atmosphere where people felt like I wasn't going to shut them down if they said things that were a bit outside the box. And there were four people in one of those classes that were already much further along in the whole movement thing that i was and just sort of getting to know that helped me inquire more and that's how i found out about it and that's how i found the irving meeting Well, so these things you happen
14: you looked at his site you yeah know, you already look at a site 10 years before that there was no site yeah you know, you yeah something like this by getting an envelope in the mail or have some chance encounter with somebody or by reading some publication like the Washington Observer or the other Spotlight or Instoration that, that had a, a circulation base of maybe three four thousand uh, for the smaller ones and, and maybe a hundred thousand for the larger ones, but in a nation of, of three hundred million people, this is just nothing. Yeah. So this is we we have much better opportunities. And you you the, the point of your meeting is to be thankful. Uh, first and foremost, beyond being thankful for the strengthening of the movement, I think we should be thankful to be who we are. You, you are a philosopher and you studied Greek and, and Greek philosophy and you know vastly more than I do, but I've read a little about it. And you know, one of the things that was inscribed on the altar of Apollo at Delphi was the, ax, the maxim, know who you are. It's often translated as, as know thyself, but knowing who you are is a much different thing than knowing thyself. And we in this movement are people who we know who we are. Uh, and we have rich lives. Uh, compared to us, most of these, these people, the normies, leave these barren, uh, sterile lives. There's basically nobody at home, just vacant lots. Uh, there's nothing going on. Uh, whereas for us, we, 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 have, we our friendships pass over millennia. Uh, you and I are friends of Epictetus and Seneca of uh, Goethe. Uh, we understand race we understand that we're part of a civilization and a race a culture and a race uh, that stretches from Vladivostok all the way around across london and dublin ireland to san francisco around the world we have rich lives and we lead lives with meaning and our enemies don't have the normies don't have it and our enemies don't have it either you know, they live in, in ideas I don't know if you you saw what Biden said on Veterans Day, but it was a perfect encapsulation of what is wrong with America and Biden. Uh, Because Biden's just a sociopath, but he was trying to con people with the idea that America is an idea. And he talked about the veterans. that They died for something special. They died for an idea, an idea called America. Well, people in this movement know that We can't live in an idea. We can live in a country, we can live in a people, Be part of a culture, but you cannot live in an idea. And the highly motivated woke people that are our enemies, they do live in a world of ideas. A few minutes ago, you were talking about the tremendous manic energy levels of our enemies. And And part of this is that they don't have complete personalities. Normal people have a, 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 they have friends, they have family, uh, they have religion, they have a family heritage, they have an ethnic group, they have a language, they have a literature. Uh, but these people don't have that. They, they are basically atomized. And they and they these causes that they join, many of them have belong to five or six causes. You probably remember reading Creative Loafing, the alternative newspaper in Atlanta, with the list of happenings. And they would have, yeah, you know, I know I I knew these fanatics, and, and they, they belong today to uh, the transgender movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, the feminist movement, all these movements. And these movements fill this hole that is that the lack of any kind of real identity has left in their personality. And that's why there's partly why they're so energetic. They're filling in an incomplete way, they're trying to plug this hole in their personalities, and we're not like that. So we can be thankful that we know who we are.
0: Yeah, that's that's very, very well said. And you know, we, we've we been at this now for three hours, or at least I have from the very start. I can't think of a better uh, way of ending than that. So I, I wanna wrap up and uh, thank everybody. Uh, and just, you know, let's just go quickly around the room and just, just say our goodbyes. First of all, Keith, uh, how do people follow your work?
3: Uh, You can follow me on Telegram, on X. I guess that's where everything is happening now. Keith Woods, YT. Um, You'll find all my other platforms there. I appreciate you having me on, Greg. It was an enjoyable discussion and uh, good to talk to the other contributors as well. And yeah, yeah, thanks thanks for everyone. And yeah, support CounterCurrents. They do great work.
0: Well, thank you so much. And everyone's, of course, here is a a huge fan of what you've been doing. You've been... uh, like I said, uh, like a number of people saying, you're our most valuable player for 2023, definitely. We're all very grateful for you in 2023. Pox, how do people follow your work?
6: Uh, you can also find me on Telegram at pox uh, underscore populi and on X at PoxesFoxes. foxes. You can read my articles on countercurrents and then you can also read them on my substack, uh, which is also called the Pox Populi substack. No surprises there. And um, I think, yeah, those would be the main four places to find my stuff. Uh, Thanks for having me on again for this wonderful Thanksgiving stream. Uh, It was a pleasure and an honor to share a space with uh, these illustrious fellow guests as well. And um, I hope we have a great 2024 and uh, a great uh, Yule as well.
0: Yeah, thank you so much,
6: Ta- uh, Ayatollah.
0: Tell us how people can follow your work.
7: Telegram and Odyssey mainly. Uh, I, I would anticipate that the stalwart Reed Johnson, the gaffer as I call him, is is probably in there, sort of posting the links. So I'll be lazy and kind of uh, leave him leave him to do uh, to do what he does so well. Um, other than that, yeah, thanks as ever for inviting me on. I was honored to be asked, really enjoyed it. It's sort of been like a racist live aid, doesn't it? As I said in the private chat earlier on. Um, oh yeah, it's been a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I uh yeah, I really
7: enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're 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 a great voice and we'll we'll definitely do this again soon. I'm always saying that. It took years for me to get Keith back on here though, but I I I always mean it when we when I say i I'd like to keep the conversation going. Uh, Carl, how do people follow your ideas, your work? Hey, um, yeah, you can just go to countercurrents.com and I'm
13: um, there is as uh, Carl Thorburn. Just type in Carl with a K and then T. And then also on Telegram, I'm, uh, I've am i got a group
0: called Bitcoin BBQ, like barbecue. That's great. Yeah, you you've been a longtime friend, a longtime supporter, and uh, I love it whenever your articles appear. And you're 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 a real Twitter bad boy. Uh, you've gone through so many accounts. Uh, oh yeah, I've, I think uh,
13: I'm on account number six, and that's the reason I didn't give my Twitter.
0: Okay, <laughs> it's okay. <yeah>. okay. <laughs> All right. Cyan, uh, you of course make countercurrents work behind the scenes, and you also are occasionally on the front page uh, as an author, and there you are in, in, in the flesh. So, how do people follow your work? And do you have any final thoughts for this evening?
12: Well, thank you. Yes, um, I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who's listening right now. At one point during the stream, we had about 300 uh, live listeners. And we also uh, were in the middle of our fundraiser. We hit, I think this might be a record for the number of donations that we've had in a live stream. We have uh, 2,000, we raised $2,063. I just had a friend message me say, uh, you Yeah, he's sending a thousand. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And that means that for our match, which is running between now and uh, December 8th, we have 8,780 left to go. That's from an original matching grant number of 10,843. So you guys have been very generous thank you so much uh, for for helping us out there there's a lot to look forward to in the rest of this year and next year it was an honor meeting everybody including you guys uh mr james kirkpatrick good to see you uh in the flesh in europe austin friedrich Uh, And Sam, of course, (laughs) Uh, it was great seeing all of you in person and uh, just being encouraged by not only the things that people are saying online and moving the Overton window that way, but also learning about all the things that you are doing and being active in your communities behind the scenes that you can't talk about on the Internet. So thanks, everybody, for joining.
0: So, so Sam, how do people follow your work? You are a regular at American Renaissance, uh, where else?
14: Well, I'm afraid that's it. Uh, one of my New year resolutions every year is to set up a podcast and to write books. And slowly it's coming to be, uh, I am slowly writing a book, uh, but uh, I'll have to set something up. And I'm just glad to follow others.
0: Well, uh, wonderful.
14: I will say farewell. You know, we have many, many linguistic strands in our English language and the way for to say goodbye in from the one that we got from the Vikings was farewell or well. So we can close on a Nordic farewell.
0: Well, thank you. Well, folks, uh, this has been great. I very much appreciate it. Uh, everybody out there listening, all of our panelists all of our participants our moderator who's always does such good work and of course all the donors who have helped out sunshine kid i owe you an answer about vico and Simone Vile and homer and i will i will do that on another occasion there's no time to expatiate on that right now but anyway it's been a real pleasure and we will definitely be back next week with another episode of countercurrents radio